Hello, everyone. Welcome to Reservations. I'm your host, Rain Wayland. I am joined today uh, by the only other cinephile in Midland, Texas, my good friend, Jeremy Blair. Hey, man, what's going on? And we are here today, and we're just going to talk about Quentin Tarantino, because if I'm honest, he's probably one of our favorite directors. And let's just be real. Probably one of the best directors out there right now. I, w- I would say he's one. He's he's getting there. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's uh he's an up and comer for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we are going to talk about all his movies. So if that's something you're into, just sit back and enjoy. Um. So I mean, before we like really get into it, man, like, what would you say was the the movie that really solidified Quentin Tarantino for you? I saw. Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction in the same time. So I, okay. I, I think I went to like Hastings when there were still Hastings, and I, I got both of them, and I was like, you know, I'm, I've heard about these, I'm gonna watch them. Uh-huh. I watched it back to back. I did the same thing with uh, Pie and Requiem for a Dream too, and also I did the same thing <laughs> with, um, with, oh, what is it? Is um, Shawshank and Green Mile? I did the same thing with those. So it's a it's a thing I like to do. I guess is just get two mm-hmm. iconic films that this filmmaker has done, watch them back to back, and let's 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 make a day of it, right? Right. Um, and God, I just. I guess it would be Reservoir Dogs would be the first one, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, God, it's so good. Right? Oh, yeah. It's such a, a departure from your normal heist film. Oh, yeah. And he knew that. Yeah, and I think and I think that's what really got it with me is that it's a heist film that you don't see the heist. Right. And, and, and that's what, what I love about it is that, you know – you see the you see the the the, the uh, uh, beginning stages of the heist. You know we, we meet all the characters and their code names: Mr. Pink, Mr. Black, Mr. Well, not Mr. Black, Mr. Orange, Mr. White. You know, and then we see the aftermath, but we never see the actual heist. And, and not only so at this time it's 1992, right? We we as audiences know what a heist film looks like. It's assembling a crew. It's it's planning the heist and it's executing the heist, right? Right. In this one, we open right before they do it. We haven't met anybody yet. It's the it's like the ten minute diner scene where they're given where Steve Buscemi right. They're giving about him tips. Shit. Yeah, they're giving him shit for not tipping the waitress, <laughs> and and then bam. Tim Roth is bleeding in the back of Harvey Cattell's car, right? And, and, and Harvey, uh, Harvey Cattell is saying, like, are, are you a doctor? <laughs> I'm dying. It's so crazy. And so, and again, this is before Pulp Fiction. We're like, wait a minute. What happened? So, but it's not so jarring that you're like, okay, I have no idea what's happening. I need to step back. Because at the end of the movie, you know exactly what happened. It's not like Pulp Fiction where you have to piece together right you have to go okay you have to almost draw it out and go okay this one chronologically was first then it's this one Mm -hmm. in Reservoir you can piece it together pretty easily oh yeah the way it was presented was it was pretty sweet man I'm I'm, again huge fan of heist films if we ever do this again if I'm ever invited (laughs) back to this we need to do something just of heist films Um, but this one is one of my favorite heist films for sure oh yeah and 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 I think the other thing too is is the cast like such a you know 
like a motley crew of, of this cast. You know, you have Harvey Keitel, who you know is already a, a veteran in '92. What a 92. huge get! Yeah, Quentin. and Quentin will have, and we will discuss every one of them. Quentin has such a good reputation of getting these crazy talented people oh, to yeah. be in his movies all the time, and that's his first one was Harvey Keitel because mm-hmm. that's crazy. And then you have Steve Buscemi, who, you know, I, I, I honest to God, don't remember anything before Reservoir Dogs of Steve Buscemi's career. So yeah. I'm pretty sure this is very early in his career. Um. Tim Roth, who was big over in Britain, but no one knew who the hell he was over here. Uh, You've got Michael Madsen. I love Michael Madsen, man. Michael Madsen's just the fucking man. He's so good in this. I know. So good. And, you know, never referenced, but, you know, for those Quentin Tarantino people out there, you know, uh, Vincent Vega's brother. Right. You know. Right. Which connects the two. Yeah. In that way. Yeah. Um, Oh, shit, I can't. Um, who? I can't remember the the organizers' names. I know. I know his son's dead now. Um, oh boy. Oh shit. Uh, <laughs> it, it's it's it's. Hang we on. do have computers in our pockets that are more powerful than the ones that put Neil Armstrong on the moon. Uh, Chris Penn. That's right. Nice guy. Nice guy, go. Eddie. Nice guy, Eddie. That's um, right. Um, and. I'm missing someone. No, I'm not. No, that's uh, no. We got all the and then Joe uh, Lawrence uh, Tyranny. Tyranny. If I just mispronounce his name, I probably did. If I mean, there's a lot of Lawrence Tyranny, 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 is... or whatever, <laughs> if, if there are fans out there, like I apologize. Right. No, but still, great, fantastic cast, and yeah. you, you would never think that the, the you know mixing veteran actors with new coming actors or you know been in a couple film actors would would make a compelling story but it totally does and it's it's so dialogue driven which is one of it's my favorite part of the film right is is the dialogue mm-hmm. and without it you don't have a movie oh right? yeah um and there was talks of him doing a play Adaptation of Reservoir, which I would totally say. That would be good. Um, And it totally works that way. Oh, yeah. Because it, again, without the dialogue, you don't have a movie. Um, But I'll tell you some of my favorite parts um, and aspects of the film. One is the music. Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, the. The soundtrack is incredible, and Stephen Wright's voice as the DJ for the uh, sounds of the 70s, right? If, oh, yeah. And his deadpan delivery, it's so great. And if you're a fan of Stephen Wright, you know what I'm talking about. He's oh. he's the greatest. He's so funny. Uh, stand-up comedian. Um, but so in incorporating the music, and again, without it in this scene, it wouldn't work. So we have spoilers, by the way. The movie's 27 years old, but spoiler alert. Um, Michael Madsen has the cop oh, yeah. in, right, in the rendezvous storage place. I the don't know what it is. Meat Warehouse. Packing. Yeah. I have no idea what it is. And I don't think we ever find out. Um, he's got him there alone. And, you know, he's torturing him, he's cutting him, and then he cuts his ear off, right? Yeah. And Steelers Wheeler, um, stuck in the middle with you, is playing. Um, And then you can almost see him have the idea to go to his car. So, again, this is amazing. So, it's a tracking shot Mm -hmm. of us following Madsen to his car. Now, without the music, 
I don't think we'd be able to tell. So he's walking outside. The music fades. We no longer hear it. He's outside, opening the trunk, getting the gasoline, closing the trunk, walking back inside. Music fades back in, and we're back in the action, right? And he starts throwing the gasoline off. Mm -hmm. It's so seamless and perfect, and you are on the edge of your seat the entire time. Oh, yeah. And and I think as a first-time director for Quentin, you know, like you said, seamless, you know, most first-time directors probably wouldn't have even thought of that or done it properly. Right. And for a first-time director, he nailed that. And everything about it, he nailed. Even his uh, cameo as Mr. Brown, who... You know, dies in his car <laughs> from some kind of he, he's shot or something, right? And he and he doesn't quit doing that throughout his career. And we'll we'll get to the, yeah. the you know he wrote the script for Pulp Fiction, so there's no excusing his language in Pulp Fiction. But <laughs> we'll get to that. But but right, he's uh, he's putting himself in his world he's created. Oh yeah, and it's. And it's so much fun, right? And it's for such a simple idea for a film, it's so rewatchable. I watch it oh, yeah. all the time. And if nothing else, just for, um, you know, Michael Madsen to cut that dude's ear off. Oh, yeah. And and, and I think you said it. Like, it's, it's such a rewatchable film. Like, I mean, all his films are rewatchable. Like, you can watch any of his films multiple times and still find it enjoyable. But, yeah. you know, most films, like, prime example... Uh, Star is Born. Love it. It was a great movie. Alright. It, you know. <laughs> no, it was good. Yeah. Uh, but for me, at least, it was so intense, it was a one-time watch. Okay. Like, I don't want to have to relive those emotions again. You know, maybe I'll rewatch it later on, but right now where I'm at, don't want to rewatch it. But, but it's got Lady Gaga, man. You don't want to no. watch that all the time? No, I mean. <laughs> but, yeah, but no, with Reservoir Dogs, I think I've seen it at least five or six times. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's just so good. It is so good. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, seamless transition. Then you get to Pulp Fiction. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure, um, and of course, you know, I was one, one when Pulp Fiction came out. Oh, boy. Uh, but I'm pretty sure people, <laughs> people in the 90s were wanting – whatever Reservoir Dogs was and Quentin was like no we're gonna do something completely different he dialed it up a little bit oh yeah I, you know the, the the dialogue I felt like was I mean it was the same dialogue but he really I felt like it was really kind of dialed in like he knew okay this is how I want my dialogue to sound yeah he he took aspects from Reservoir Dogs that he's like, all right, I loved what I did there. Let's see if I can up the ante a little bit. Right. Let's 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 have people try to map it out and see what story came before what. And even all right, so this <laughs> this was crazy. So I rewatched it the other day and I am kicking myself to death that I have never noticed this before. We're in the diner. The movies the movies opened. Right. right? And we are with Honey Bunny and um, Tim uh, Roth. I don't remember oh, what she calls him. Um, oh no, this is gonna bother me. I know. You look it up. Uh, and they and they cut to Honey Bunny and pumpkin. what was it? Pumpkin. Pumpkin. Is it, is it All right. Pumpkin. So they, they cut to Honey Bunny, and we can see Vincent 
get up to go to the bathroom. I swear to God, oh, I never noticed it before. I'm and I was like, oh my God. That now. You know why? Because I wasn't paying attention and I wasn't expecting it. The The closest thing that I've gotten to that was in, and this is a, this is a weird sort of connection, was Donnie Darko. Um, okay. Donnie is, wakes up on that highway uh, in the very beginning of the movie mm-hmm. and the credits are rolling for the opening, right? And he's riding his bike, and Frank's Trans Am passes him um, on on the street on the way to his. I mean, it's crazy. I was like, "Oh, that's Frank from <laughs> right," um, and that's how I was watching this. God, I, and I'm really embarrassed to say it was just like a couple of months ago. <laughs> and I'm like, that's Vincent. That's so crazy. That's him. He's going to the bathroom. Yeah, and then then when we catch up with that scene, you don't realize they're in the diner, right? And so uh, now I'm gonna have to rewatch it and yeah, look for that. I know it's so crazy. Um, so, and this this movie and Inglorious Bastards are kind of similar in that they have their it's it's nonlinear storytelling. And these people are this story. These people are this story, right? Right. And and I have my favorites, of course. And in Pulp Fiction, it's Vincent and Jules. Yes, uh, of course. Oh, they're the greatest, right? Oh, yeah. There's so much fun to watch. You, you would never think that, you know, Samuel Jackson, uh, soon to be Nick Fury and John Travolta, who just is now doing Nick Cage and saying yes to everything. Dude, I was so hoping that after um, American Crime Story, uh, when he was um, Robert Shapiro. Oh, yeah. I was like, he was so good in that. Maybe he can bump his career back up again. And and no. no. <laughs> I mean, supposedly Gotti was really good, but... No, it was not. It, I had a feeling it, it was, wasn't. No, and it wasn't even, like, no one thought it was good. But anyway, <laughs> um, and this was the first comeback yeah. for John Travolta. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I remember watching the special features <laughs> and John still, like, to this day saying, like, thanks to Quentin, I still had a career. Yeah. And and yeah, and you and I think that was the other shock is no one expected Danny Zuko to <laughs> to be a hardened uh, gangster. Yeah, I was man. gonna go Vinny Barbarino. Yeah, and here's another thing I didn't notice before. He he's at Eric Stoltz's house buying the heroin. Right, and he asks if he can shoot up in the apartment. Right, right. And this made me laugh so hard, and I've never noticed it before. Eric Stoltz says, "Mi casa es su casa." John Travolta in his best Vinny Barbarino goes muchas gracias and it made me laugh so I was rolling dude I was, <laughs> and like and uh, I don't know if I should so dumb credit this in the description of this episode but like there's a YouTube channel uh, called Aliens Guide and it, it's like a humorous kind of uh, like they review movies and they they do like a humorous thing but then they'll, they'll do like a um like an actual breakdown. So they'll they give like a very humorous like because the whole idea is like, you know, this alien in the far future finds the relics of Earth mm-hmm. and reviews them. And so it gives like very humorous um, gist of the movie. And then he breaks it down and like the philosophical stuff. And they did Pulp Fiction. And I never noticed it until I watched this, uh, this episode. And, you know, time... Quentin really messes with time. Yeah. In it. N- not in the sense of like time travel, but like yeah. 
the whole the whole scene with Mia overdosing and you know Vincent's on the phone like freaking the fuck out because yeah. he's about to kill his boss's <laughs> wife and he calls Eric Stoltz who I love Eric Stoltz Eric Stoltz is so, so good in this oh, movie man he's so you know, good what kind of Back to the Future will we'd have had if they left him with, in the movie with Eric Stoltz I have no idea and I kind of don't want to think about it I love me some Michael J. Fox Ex- man so right. it's I, ca- I can't I can't allow myself to think about that but, I feel like I'm a traitor I know yeah. um but then, like, you know, we cut to Eric Stoltz, you know, calmly just eating his cereal, watching cartoons. And or then, like, uh, when he's looking for his um, oh shit, uh, his adrenaline needle to bring Mia back, yeah. you know, in the middle of him, like, throwing shit out of the room, he and his wife are getting in an argument. Like, <laughs> and us as the audience are like, are, are we not going to yeah. focus on the dying woman in yeah. your living room? No, but that's that's and, ingenious. And, and that yeah, is, ex- that's yeah. the comedy in this horrible, horrible scenario. Exactly. <laughs> and, and I'm glad you said that. Like, I would have when I remember the first time I sat down to watch Pulp Fiction. I don't remember who it was. I'm pretty sure it was my mom or someone. Someone told me. This isn't a comedy. Or don't think of this as a comedy. Don't think of this as anything. But yeah, during all that, I couldn't help but laugh. Yeah, absolutely. Especially the part where uh, John Travolta blows Jimmy's head off. Yeah. Oh, um, which, come to find out, John Travolta ad libbed that. Like oh, he yeah. he pulled Quentin aside and was like, "Well, what if I, what if I say it kind of." Dry, like, oh man, I shot Jimmy in the face. Oh, it's the best. It's so funny. And it shouldn't be funny because you just killed someone, but right. it's so funny. It was, it was Marvin. Marvin. Was oh, Marvin. Player. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And it, actually, the guy who voices um, Samurai Jack. Yeah, yeah. Right. Lamar. Oh. oh, and, you know, he's he's done a whole bunch of stuff, too. I mean, that was just the first thing that popped in my head. But, um, the oh, man, Sam Marvin in the face is the, <laughs> it's so is good. the best line delivery. And we haven't even talked about. Um, Christopher Walken's monologue, which my dad would kill me if I didn't mention his monologue, because we mention it all the time to each other. We're just like, you know, the only place to good up his ass, you know? We say it all the time. It's (laughs) so uh, dumb. And and, and the fact that he got Christopher Walken to do that brief little scene, I mean, anything Christopher Walken's in, you want more Christopher Walken. Absolutely. That was the perfect amount of Christopher Walken that didn't take away from the story, and it was... It's gold. Him telling this. Uh, Did you do that on purpose? Because it's about a gold watch. <laughs> no, I actually didn't. Uh, but you're telling this. What is it? Like six, seven year old uh, Butch. Yeah. That his dad keeping watch of his ass. Keeping watch of his ass. Yeah. And it's. Uh, and then we cut to Bruce Willie, yeah. adult Butch, who's apparently thinking about this before he's uh, about to beat the shit out of the guy and and eventually kill that guy. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah that's right. He, he kills does kill that guy. Right, um, and <laughs> but yeah, the and the fact that we are just now noticing these things mm. in this movie that is twenty five years old is crazy. I mean, that lets you know how how much there is to unpack. Oh yeah, and and just you know, I said it with with Reservoir Dogs. <coughs> Casting again, he nailed the casting, yeah. and also kind of, in my opinion, starting Quentin's staple of reusing actors. Yeah, like I feel like in most movies, if a director reuses actors, eventually you're like, okay, get someone else. But I feel like with what Quentin did, 
it works of him, you know, reusing Harvey Keitel as the wolf. Oh, God. Um, there, <laughs> I'm sorry. I just love this movie so much that <laughs> I guess I'm going to have to, um, as, uh, you know, as the character in Pi would say, restate my assumptions. I guess I'm going to have to say Pulp Fiction would be my favorite because <laughs> there's so much to love, right? I completely forgot about Harvey Keitel as the wolf, man, of course. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah, when, uh, so good. when Jules best. is talking to Ving Rhames and he's like, I've got the wolf on it. Oh, why didn't you say so? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and, and of course, you know, Ving Rhames as yeah. Marcellus Wallace. Yeah, he's the best. Just, you know, having, having um, I can't think of his name from Mission Impossible, but just Ving Rhames in general is, if, is amazing. If I... If someone is describing someone to me and they're trying to like, oh, you know, he's, I'm like, does he look like a bitch? (laughs) (laughs) Does Marcellus Wallace look like a bitch? That's right. Then why try to fucking like a bitch, Brent? Huh? It's the greatest. And then, oh, and we didn't even, I can't believe we, we didn't immediately talk about this, but all the, the mythology that is built around Pulp Fiction. I actually have stuff to talk about. uh, Like the mythology. suitcase that, you know. I've, you know, I know, I, I know me and Ashley have looked at so many theories about it that supposedly it's, you know, Marcellus's soul right. that he's, that he sold and, and that, you know, the, the people that Jules and uh, Vincent kill at the beginning of the movie are like the demons guarding it or some, something yeah. like that, something to that effect. I mean, honestly, I think that's ridiculous. I mean, it's, to me, it's ridiculous, but, um, and a lot of people say, and this is kind of where film analysis goes wrong mm-hmm. is people put so much weight onto certain things oh, and, yeah. and sometimes they should right a lot of things are very deliberate very planned out oh yeah um however people were saying you know his soul was taken in the back of his head look he's wearing a band-aid yeah, and, wasn't and it he like... was just shaving his head that morning and he cut his head put a band-aid on and quentin liked it he goes just keep it on that's <laughs> yeah. how that, that's that's easy Oh, yeah. And wasn't it actually the whole thing with the suitcase and the light is Quentin just said, like, oh, when people ask him, he goes, it was a light bulb. Yeah. Like that, that he had nothing planned for it, that it was he needed it for the shot. Yeah. I think it was supposed to be diamonds in the original and he scrapped that and he's just like, hey, let's just let's make it, you know. Anonymous. I, you know, let's leave it up for speculation. And that's what he wanted. He wanted this. Oh, yeah. He wanted someone to say it was probably his soul. Look at that. Uh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I feel like I watched a video a while back where someone like broke it down scene by scene and was like, yeah, this is I can't remember what was said, but the, the gist of it was like Jules and, and Vincent were, you know, pretty much hired to do it. And then. Jules kind of threw a wrench in everything when Jules decided that he was going to hang up the life and yeah and no it's just a fantastic movie so I know we were talking about before we started rolling we were talking about uh, Patricia Arquette right? right and her sister was Eric Stoltz's wife um, and I god I forgot her name oh, Rosie uh, Arquette oh uh, no people are screaming at their at their phones right now oh. if we actually have people listening to this and by the way, thank you for listening. Yeah, um, <laughs> thank you, for Rosanna listening. Arquette. Rosanna, yeah. I was so close. And uh, Alex Arquette was the guy in the bathroom with the hand cannon. Uh, now Alexis Arquette, but um, was then Alex. And so there are two Arquettes in the same movie. Look at that! Wow. Yeah. And then wow, 
I never knew that. Yeah. So the crazy. one that that tries to kill Jules and, Vin, and Vincent yeah, and is, uh, somehow Arcadia. misses completely. Right. Yeah. Which I would say if this movie had one flaw, it was right before Alex comes out with the hand cannon. You can see the bullet holes behind them. Other than that, really? you can. Yeah. And it's like, ah, they should have paid closer attention to that. Yeah. It, yeah. I but, notice it every time. But yeah. And, and, and I, like I said, I feel like that, I feel like, you know, like, like what you were saying, that he took what he learned from Reservoir Dogs and then built upon that right. in Pulp Fiction. Um, then I feel like what he did with Pulp Fiction is what he, kind of like the formula is what he kept with and like this is the formula I'm going to start working with and moving forward with my career because you know then in 97 we have Jackie Brown Jackie Brown yeah Um, again great cast if you know anything about Quentin Tarantino uh, he loves all types of movies but really what he Loves is black exploitation and sex exploitation films of the late sixties, early seventies. Really? Oh yeah. And so for I, I mean, again, if you know who he is, um, and if you know what he likes, you are so excited that he has Pam Greer in his movie. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a great anecdote of he has asked Pam to come meet with him about this part in this movie, Jackie Brown, and okay. she sh- <laughs> she shows up to his house. And there are posters of her films everywhere, all over his house. And uh, she goes, did you put these up because I was coming? He goes, no, I thought about taking them down because you were coming. Which, I mean, he is a huge fan of black exploitation films. I was watching a documentary about uh, those that genre. Right. Uh, in one of my classes at Tech, Texas Tech, if you're not from here, um, <laughs> And it was about you know those that genre, and he was in it. He was he was one of the one of the talking heads really? in the documentary. Yeah, said he saw Marvin Van Peebles' film uh, Sweet Sweetback when he was like eight years old. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know what Sweet Sweetback is, if you're listening, Google it, and just the synopsis will say an eight year old probably shouldn't be watching Sweet Sweetback. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> it's it's so, it, it's such adult themed, right? Um, but yeah, so getting getting Pam Greer is a huge get. This is like Harvey Keitel and and Reservoir Dogs. Exactly, it, it's it's such a big deal, right? And it's a and I'll tell you this, um, this Jackie Brown and Justified, the uh, FX television show, are linked. Do you know how? How they are adapted from Elmore Leonard stories. Um, Jackie Brown is an adaptation of Rum Punch, which is a novel by Elmore Leonard. Okay. And uh, Justified is an adaptation from a short story, um, Fire in the Hole, by Elmore Leonard. Okay. Yeah. And Michael Keaton in Jackie Brown... I was just about to say, did it... ...plays the same character in Out of Sight, I think. That's... I, I, which is another Elmore Leonard, right? I feel... Yeah, I feel like I read something about that. Yeah. So th- th- that was just a, you know... Aside, but um, going back to the um, to the homages to films like Shaft and Coffee and Foxy Brown, the mm-hmm. the opening shot which I watched last night in preparation for this conversation, <laughs> uh, uh, the opening credit sequence is just Pam Greer on the far right mm-hmm. um, on a moving sidewalk, and the names just popping up just like that funky music. 
playing in the background. And when the title comes up, Jackie Brown, mm-hmm. uh, it's done in that sort of font, right? That sort right. of 70s font. And the little copyright thing is down at the bottom. Now, they used to do that a lot in the right in the 60s, 70s, even way back in the 40s. They used to do that all the time. They kind of stopped doing that. And this was sort of like, hey, you remember when movies used to do that? You know, mm-hmm. and it's again, this whole film is just filled with homages and just respect to those those films that he loves so much. Right. Yeah. And, and you I can mean, tell. And, oh, yeah. And, and and, you know, the majority of the cast is, you know, black. You know, you have Samuel Jackson, Pam Greer. Well, I say the majority. The, Chris uh, Tucker was Chris in it. Chris Tucker's in it. Yeah, Chris Tucker's in it for five minutes. Yeah, and then yeah, and Samuel Jackson shoots him in the trunk of his car. Can I? Can we talk about the shot from from them in the car? He just put him in the trunk to to him going around the corner. Yes, and it's one shot, and the camera just pans up to catch him in the distance in that vacant lot, and then he shoots him, and then he drives off, and that's it. But it takes a minute. But again, just like in Reservoir Dogs, with the music fading out and the music fading back in, mm-hmm. um, with he's opening the car door, right, is is when he closes the car door and he drives off in Jackie Brown and the music fades out, but we're still there. We're still there in that empty parking spot. Mm-hmm. We pan up. We hear the music again when he comes around the corner into the vacant lot. It's the same. It's the same method. Oh yeah, like I remember watching it, and you know I I'd never seen Jackie Brown, heard of Jackie Brown, you know, yeah, you know I'd seen Reservoir Dogs, I'd seen Pulp Fiction, saw Kill Bill one and two, you know Inglorious Bastards, and never seen Jackie Brown, never knew it was a Quentin Tarantino movie, and so I finally when I finally watched it, I wasn't expecting. Because I'll, I'll be honest, I wasn't paying attention to the names during the opening sequence because like, right. I thought it was so beautifully shot. Right, and it is. It's, it's, I wasn't paying attention to any of the names yeah. flashing on the screen. And so when I see uh, Robert De Niro yeah. with that giant porn yeah. <laughs> uh, handlebar mustache. That just got out of prison stash. Yeah. Yes. Killed me. Um Seeing Michael Keaton, love Michael Keaton. I do too. He's so good. And, and his stupid uh, sunglasses with the the neck piece on it, so he can wear them <laughs> around his neck. And he, he's a he's a cop, isn't he? Or yeah, neck? he was a yeah special agent, something or other. Yeah. Um, and then of course some Samuel Jackson with that long yeah thin and, and the ponytail. Pony, yeah, that's right. Ponytail was hot, man. And I his like uh, his. Uh, Kango hat that he wore backwards the yep. entire movie. Now, all right, so we we didn't mention this from Pulp Fiction, but I am compelled to talk about it now, is I'm not a foot guy at all, <laughs> all right? I think feet are gross. I don't want to say them, right? And this is coming from a swimmer for 10 years. Like, I, I, oh, yeah. I'm over, all right? I'll tell you one thing. Quentin, he loves him some feet. All right, he loves him some ladies' feet, and we get in the in the in the house of um, Samuel Jackson's character. Mm-hmm. We have Bridget Fonda, who oh, is yeah. his girlfriend. Right? Again, I watched this last night. There is like four close-up shots of her feet in the span of three minutes. Are you serious? At least, and I'm like, this is gross. <laughs> why am I? You know why? Because he loves it, and we. 
we get not as many shots and for as long, but we do get some in Pulp Fiction with Uma Thurman mm-hmm. as uh, well with her feet, right? Um, uh, isn't it when they get back from dancing when he's tracking her through the, her living room? That's right. And even, I think even when Vincent first shows up to the uh, to the house, we see some close-ups on her feet as well. That's right. And it doesn't stop because we get some in Kill Bill, which we'll talk about, but we do get some Kill Bill feet oh, as well oh, yeah. later. Jeez Louise, I <laughs> do not like feet. And <laughs> But, you, you know, I mean, that's his thing. Good for him. Good for him for knowing. Yeah, and I think the one thing I'll leave on with, with Jackie Brown is... I could never pin down what kind of genre of movie it was. Like, like what you're saying, like about it being, you know, an homage to black exploitation films, you know, and that's something I feel like Quentin does beautifully is homages to the films that he loves. Yeah. You know, which we get to Westerns. Yeah. And, and, and with what we're about to talk about with Kill Bill, but right. you know, I could never pin down the genre of film, you know, cause it, it has elements of suspense, you know, yeah. cause Samuel Jackson's character is the bad guy. Again, Spoiler, the movie's <laughs> 22 years old. Yeah. Samuel Jackson's the bad guy. Get off your ass and go see it. Damn. Um, it, it had comedy. You know, Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro, in general, that whole movie's fucking hilarious. He's so good. Um, Michael Keaton. You know, any scene Michael Keaton's in is gold. Yeah, he steals every scene he's in, and that's... And that's just Michael Keaton. Yeah. You know? And so I couldn't... I could never really pin down the movie. And and I feel like that was part of the... I don't know if Quentin was intentionally trying to do it, but I felt like that was kind of the charm of the movie. It's because, yeah. you know, Reservoir Dogs, it's a heist movie. Yeah. We you know. Pulp Fiction, it's... It's like a... It's a crime drama. It, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's the underbelly of Los Angeles. But then you get to Jackie Brown and... You don't really know what it is. I think it's because it's an adaptation, right? This right. is different. This is this isn't his. Mm-hmm. This is this is someone else's. Yeah, and he, it's Elmore yeah. Leonard, and you know we know it's going to be about crime, but you know, yeah, um, and, and, and you're right, it is different. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's what makes it so good. And yeah. then so now with another seamless transition, you know, <laughs> We're continuing doing so good at these. I know, uh, <laughs> continuing with. <laughs> Quentin's homages to other films, we get to Kill Bill, which, you know, volume one and two, uh, fan just... You think, you get the sneaking suspicion he likes kung fu movies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Especially, oh, especially in in part one. Yeah. I I love part one so much. Part one, I feel like didn't, or I mean part two, part two I feel like didn't heavily rely on it. As much as I'd part one, I'd say it's one. my least favorite of the two. Yeah, sure. part part two I felt like was more about the. And I know, okay, people <laughs> people who we actually got to listen to this garbage is screaming. It's one movie. I know it's one movie. All right, calm down. Well, I keep saying part. It's a, you know volume. volume. Right. It's it's like Lars von Trier's Nymphomaniac Part One. We get it's one movie. All right. Yeah. I'm just saying I like the first half better. Yeah, and, and, and I feel like the thing with Volume Two. Over part over volume one is I feel like volume two is more about the emotion of everything, of her revenge and and trying to figure out what happened in the how many years ten years she's in a coma oh boy. six years seven that's years? a good question Rain oh shit um I, will I should say I should know this I've I've watched this at least I've watched both parts. Uh, four years. It's four years. Four year comma. I was four. Wow, it feels longer. <laughs> I mean, Even though the movie's, like, the movie's not as good. I'm telling you. I know. The second part's not as good. Makes it feel longer. But, um, yeah, but yeah, no, I, I will agree. Part of volume one is so 
just rich with all this backstory. Yeah. And, you know, again, kind of playing off of what he did with Pulp Fiction, you know, it's a non-linear storytelling. Yeah. So, you know, we start off with, you know, Uma Thurman, you know, about to get headshotted from, uh, oh, Jesus. Oh, um, I'll tell you. So, David Carradine. Again, we, we were talking before, or I was, about Harvey Keitel. Right. Pam Greer. Mm-hmm. Um, De Niro, I guess, would be another good get. Getting the guy who started a movie called Kung Fu, David Carradine. Mm-hmm. I mean, what a good get. Again, he is getting these guys, you yeah, know? Yeah. And Wait till we get to Marconi. A spoiler alert. When we get to, uh, <laughs> when we get to Hateful Eight, this guy, this guy just hits gold every time he asks someone to do something. Oh, yeah. To be a part of this. And and I should I should have mentioned this in Pulp Fiction, even though the interview I watched was more about the Hateful Eight. Um, and I definitely, I definitely felt it in Kill Bill. But, you know, Tim Roth mentioned how Quentin, because I'm going off on a tangent, but like Quentin in his writing, he's already thought of all the improvising you can do. Yeah. And so like Tim Roth was talking about how he was trying to improvise in a scene and Quentin was like, no, read what's on the page. I've already done it. <laughs> and and I feel like that shows Quentin's writing ability. And I definitely felt it in Kill Bill. Like I felt like, yeah, there's a few scenes that they improvised, but I felt like it was so fluid in the writing yeah. that you couldn't have told if it was the actual script or the actor improvising. Right. And, you know, I've, I've really I thought about it today because I knew I was going to be here. Um, but I was wondering if, and I don't know the answer to this, if Quentin, without asking or preparing to pay for these things, if he, like, maps out the music for it as well. Because he's got to, you know, I know some directors who, and some writers who do that. They'll, hmm. they will sit there and be like, okay, and then to go back to Donnie Darko, uh, Richard Kelly, he would say, okay, now we're going to open, we're going to open with, you know, Echo and the Bunnymen. And it's going to be, you know, the Killing Moon, and then we're going to go to this, and it's going to be NXS. And he already knows what song's going to be playing where. And I'm wondering if Quentin does that as well. I mean, I, w- I would definitely suspect it because, because I, I f- again, that you know, we haven't really touched on mu- the music a lot. Yeah, music's so good, but the He's music so of Kill Bill is so good. It and is, it's- yeah. And even the cues. So we have like the the flashbacks where we get that that red flash and that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right, and that was such a terrible impression of that. I'm not a machine, so anyway, um, and so that music cue that happens a lot, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, so it doesn't even have to be like actual music from other artists. It's just you know the score, right? It's also very planned out, well executed. Yeah, God, he's good. Um, and so, so kind of really talking about. Uh, yeah, I guess we can start with you know volume one and then work our way into volume two. Well, you don't have to go to volume two, <laughs> uh, or just as a whole. One of the things that I loved loved the most about volume one, and I kind of needed to get this out. I, I already told Ashley about it, but I, I st- I'm still salty about it to this day. Um, one of my favorite sequences of volume one is the flashback sequence of uh, Oren and. Oren Shee's backstory, uh-huh. of Lucy Liu's backstory. Yeah. And I love that Quentin did it uh, anime. Yeah. That it wasn't 
you know, he didn't get, you know, he didn't cast a little Asian girl. You know, he, he, I can't think of the artist's name, but he hired a really famous anime artist to animate this entire sequence for him. I wouldn't know. I, I wouldn't know. Who, yeah. I'm not an anime guy, but. I, yeah, I've seen the animation before. I just can't think of the artist, but it's so beautifully done and it works with the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the crazy thing. You would never suspect it. A little, you know, 15, no, it was probably about 10 minute anime sequence would work. In this. Yeah, it's this mix of styles, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because he wrote the story for Natural Born Killers. Right. Which also does that. It does that mix of styles of animation, live action, and the different styles of live action. There's, I mean, we're on a tangent now for sure. Because oh, yeah. now we're on Natural Born Killers. But there's a scene in Natural Born Killers that's done as a sitcom, right? Um, and so, and again, he, he has the story for it. And I don't know how much of that was Tarantino, how much of it was Oliver Stone. Yeah, because yeah, I know Tarantino was like, take my name off of it. I don't want to be involved with this anymore. <laughs> I mean, Oliver Stone, I heard, can be, you know, uh, not so wavering, I would say, yeah. even though I'm a fan. Of Oliver, if Oliver Stone is listening to this, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm a fan. But, yeah, man, so that mix of styles isn't foreign to him at this point, you know. Mm. Not to Warn Killers was 94, 95? So. Yeah, but... And so the reason why I'm so salty about it is because I remember I was at work and it was playing on, uh, I want to say TNT. Someone had the break room TV on and they were playing Kill the Volume 1. Yeah, it was censored, but I still feel like we still got a lot of the good story out. Well, it gets to the uh, Oren backstory and I'm sitting there, the only one really enjoying it. And a couple of my coworkers come in. I'm like, yo, what's this? I was like, oh, man, this is Kill Bill. And they've heard the name, but I don't think any of them have seen the movie. They're like, oh, this is Kill Bill. I didn't know it was animated. I was like, well, it's not. This is a backstory. Right. But I thought it was. I was like, no. Like, this is. uh, And. And and I feel like and I feel like (laughs) Kill Bill is one of those movies that if you come in at a different time, you don't know what's going on. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, mean, obviously. I mean, if you come in at the part where the bride is massacring the crazy uh, idiot, yeah, that was crazy. Then, like, you probably understand what's going on. And they're probably like, "Oh, dude, this movie's in black and white. That's tight, man." It's like, well, kind of. (laughs) But (laughs) it's kind of black and white. But I feel like with that part, especially, you know, with Oren's backstory, if you come in, you're like, "Wait, what's what is this movie?" Because then you know. And once we're done, and we, you know, you mentioned feet, we cut right back to the bride, fresh out of a coma, in the pussy wagon, you know, in the pussy wagon. Uh, yeah, reviving her her toes so she could walk again. I'm telling you, man, he likes feet, and it's gross. <laughs> and I'm not a fan of um, that. And and then, and so you know, I mentioned earlier about how he reuses actors. Yep. And you know, he he already worked with Uma. Yeah. on Pulp Fiction as Mia mm-hmm. uh, Mia Wallace and tangent because I never knew this uh, she co-wrote a Kill Bill with him because oh. because at one point it says uh, I think it's written by uh, Q and U and I never figured that Q out Q and U I was like Uma Thurman I was like Who's Uma's a cool name man oh yeah Uma's a cool name I, I will tell you I didn't know that. Honestly, Kill Bill's not my favorite of his stuff, so I've probably seen it the least amount of times. Besides Jackie Brown, yeah, and and I, well, and I feel like Kill Bill 
is one of the, it's it's a movie that you can't just watch part one or part two. You have to dedicate time to watch the entire story. There are places where you can watch it all at once. I, I was looking on IMDb and and Quentin was credited and it said Kill Bill: The Full Story. Right. And I guess IMDb was just like, well, here, this is the whole thing. Yeah, this is it. But this is like six hours. Enjoy. But, and and. And so kind of going back to what we were saying about him paying homage to the films he loves. And so the whole, even part two, I mean, part two, like I said, doesn't heavily rely on it. But it's a whole homage to Kung Fu movies. Yeah. And it's so good. And yeah, he, he loves Kung Fu movies. And, you know, and in 2000, you know, 2003, 2004, when the films were released, you know, I don't think Americans really had gotten a Kung Fu movie, a proper one at least. And, you know, here's Quentin who gives us his take of a kung fu movie and it's just I may so disagree with you when did um oh not crouching tiger is that it <laughs> uh with jet li or or chowing fa yeah when did that come cuz that was you know that that's a big deal uh 2000 so 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 okay so, so okay so we I was did wrong. get crouching tiger right okay um which that one that that one has that tree sequence mm-hmm. right where that that's crazy. Oh yeah, I feel like that won a, an Academy Award. Well, yeah. at some point. Um, but no, and and, and again, so again, reusing uh, actors he's worked with. So you, we have Michael Madsen again. Yeah, Michael Madsen as Big Bill's fan. brother. Um, Big fan. I guess such a scumbag. I know. everything. I know it's sad, but Michael Maxson plays such such a good scumbag. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I mean, if you watch Free Willy, you never know that that was uh, Vic Vega from <laughs> from Reservoir Dogs. But I feel like if you ask someone like, "Hey, man, what's your favorite Michael Maxson role?" It's probably a oh, douchebag. Free Willy. Oh, what did you say? Uh, <laughs> oh, no, not Free Willy. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, but the, so uh, it's Michael Maxson. Um, Samuel Jackson shows up, I mean, briefly, but still. Um, and I think one of the things, uh, well, and we'll continue with the actors before I go off on my tangent, you know, Uma Thurman, and then working with Lucy Liu and Daryl Hannah, and um, I can't think of her name. Um, and I just had it up too. I, j- I was literally just looking at it. Uh, uh, she plays a codename Copperhead. I can't remember. I think can't think of her name. But still, like so many great actors and actresses, um, and then having uh, Julie Dreyfus in it as well. Yeah, and gets her arm cut off, uh, which is I don't know why that is so funny. I but. don't know why you remember just that one person getting their arm cut off. I think <laughs> I think at least a hundred people get something cut off. Well, because you know. I, I realized it, I think, after the th- second or third time of rewatching Kill Bill. Yeah. Um, she gets her arm cut off to get Oren's attention. And yet, somehow, after the entire massacre, after the entire bride killing Oren, she's still alive. <laughs> How the fuck? But, like, everyone else is dead on the dance floor, legs and arms cut off. Yeah. But... Julie Dreyfus is still alive. <laughs> um, we, um, my dad and I, we really love the the movie The Adams Family with Raul Julia 
Oh, and not the, the not the Tim Curry one. No, no, no. <laughs> the, the 1990 one or whatever. Um, and it has a scene in it where where Wednesday and Pugsley have to do some sort of I don't know act or some sort of play from uh-huh. Shakespeare, and Fester gives them these fake limbs that when they're cut they spew blood. Just like in Kill Bill, I was wondering if maybe Quentin maybe really liked the Adams family. It was like, ooh, I should try that, but with a hundred people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, and I feel like Kill Bill, like, uh, like I said, I feel like it's one of those where you, you can't just watch part one or part two. Like, if, even if you like part one more over part two or vice versa, it's one of those you have to sit and you have to watch the entire story play out. Well, like I said, you know, it's one movie. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And and so then uh, that kind of brings me brings us to the next movie, which you already told me you hated. Uh, Death Proof. Yeah. I um, did not care for this when I saw it the first time. I <laughs> And I have not seen it a second time. So I'm going to be maybe, honest. Maybe it would change my opinion. I'm just saying I saw when it came out <laughs> and I just compared it to Planet Terror, which I loved so much more. Well, which well, well it's crazy. Uh, you know, Planet Terror and Death Proof came out at the same time. Well, together. Yeah. As a quote unquote double feature the, for the Grindhouse. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I'll be honest. Even though I, I thought Death Proof was great, I've only seen it once. You know, seen it once, loved it, and haven't watched it again. I have mentioned to some people today that I was like, "Yeah, I'm going to go talk about Tarantino films," and and but I'm probably not going to talk about Death Proof. They go, "Why? Death Proof's dope." And I was like, "What <laughs> is the matter with you? <laughs> yeah. What's the matter with me? It must be me." Well, I mean, and and like I remember watching it for the first time. It is, it is, I would say, an acquired taste of a movie. Yeah, because it's. It's very Tarantino-esque, but at the same time, not. Like, it it has all his staples, you know, gratuitous violence, great cast, great writing. Um, but then you, you know, majority of the movie is shot in black and white. Yeah. And then, I can't remember what scene, but I know it's some scene involving Rosario Dawson. It suddenly becomes a colored, you know, it's colored. I don't even remember her being in the movie. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm telling you, bro. I <laughs> I see. I think the reason why I loved it so much is is, is Kurt Russell. I mean, yeah, I do love Kurt Russell. Very much. Kurt Russell as a as a as a as a douchebag uh, stunt driver who picks up chicks just to kill them. Yeah, I don't think I can tell you how many times I've seen the thing, but I've seen it so many times, <laughs> and it's because of Kurt Russell. He's so good. Oh yeah, I mean, and and not to not to shamelessly. Uh, talk about this but uh my mother-in-law has actually met him and she uh i don't i don't remember how old she was but she she was a child and he just happened to be passing through the midland odessa area and um her parents you know my grandparents are were like big fans and they're like could we get a picture you know could apparently he was super nice which that is makes, nice. makes me feel good that Kurt Russell is super you know, nice. Yeah, it makes you feel good when people are nice. Yeah, and and he was like, of course, and apparently like held my mother in law uh, and took a picture with her. Oh, um, and it, so I don't know. And so just so just seeing him as like this this like scummy, you know, former stunt driver. Yeah, who only picks up chicks to kill them. Yeah, 
was just it, to me it was gold. It, it was, was like, fun. Yeah. yeah, and and also I'm pretty sure I may have misread it, but I'm pretty sure the the it, it was filmed in Austin. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, in Austin, Texas. Austin, yeah. Texas. Um, which you know I love. I think that's where. I think that's where Ronald Rodriguez is from. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah no, in Sidebar, totally different movie. In uh, I don't know if you've ever seen... And I know, I know people are going to comment the fuck out of this, but Machete. Oh, Machete! Yeah. I love Machete so much. Uh, See, now that's a movie. That's a dumb movie I can get behind. All right? <laughs> well, you know, Robert De Niro is standing in front of the Capitol building... Of Austin, Texas, when he's giving his speech. Yeah. So that, that yeah. Um, but I mean, I had a feeling we probably weren't going to focus that much on Death Proof since I'm the only one who's really, really enjoyed anything it. about it. But, yeah, I don't. Well, and I don't remember much. I just remember the final scene, and I don't know why. And then, like, I, I find it funny, not funny, and like, oh, comedy. It's it was funny. It was just funny. Where the girls are Sario Dawson. Um, I can't remember. Uh, <laughs> hey, man, I'm not gonna remember. Uh, the other girls in it. Um, Mary Elizabeth Winston. Oh, that's right, she was in it. Wow. Um, I don't remember that. Beat the shit out of Kurt Russell at the end. <laughs> it's so good. I and do vaguely remember that. Like, because he, for some reason, targets them. I don't remember why he targets them. Uh, and. There's this really, really cool chase sequence because if I remember correctly, the girls are like thrill seekers. So at one point, uh, I want to say it's Rosario Dawson is they put her on the front of the car of their car. And so she's holding on to rope or whatever that the girls have like stringed inside their car so she doesn't fall off. And they're just like speeding down the highway. And then he shows up. And trying to kill them and unsuccessfully does so. And then uh, they end up, I think they end up crashing his car, which he claimed was death proof. Uh, uh, uh. Oh, is that uh, what they call it then? Yeah. Oh, okay. That was um, one of them. And then they just beat the shit out of him. <laughs> and that's how the movie ends. Like the four of them surround him and just beat the shit out of I'm him. Still laughing at my dumb joke. <laughs> I laughed. It was a it was a pity chuckle. <laughs> Thanks, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, and yeah, God, I don't remember this movie. At I, all. I would say give it one more once over. If one you don't right. give it give it uh, give it a once over. If you really don't like it, then I think just my like I said, it's I feel like it's not everyone's cup of tea because it's it's Tarantino, but really like he scraped. All of what makes Tarantino Tarantino. Yeah, it's because I I think he was intending like this is going to be a B movie. It's for Grindhouse and releasing it with Planet Terror. Do you think they wanted to do more of those? What Grindhouse? Yeah, I'm sure Robert Rodriguez wants to. I mean, you mentioned that you liked. See, I, and I think that's what makes it work. Is you like Planet Terror? I did. Really, I, I did, did not like Planet Terror. Really. Oh, man. No, it was great. I understand that it was intentionally made to be a B-movie. Yeah. I get that. It's so dumb. And I love it. But it it was just like, I mean, you had Josh Brolin in it. I love Josh Brolin. You know, Quentin Tarantino, you know, shows up in it and his, uh, you know, if I remember correctly, I'm going to be honest, I wasn't into it from the get-go and so I skimmed through the entire movie. I understand. Um, 
But if I remember correctly, you know, doesn't like the dis- whatever disease is going around, like his testicles fall off or something? <laughs> I don't remember that, but I'll tell you what. My um, my dad loves this movie as well. And we- <laughs> there is a scene in the movie that is cut and it says real lost or something. <laughs> and it's they're in a jam right right before it. They're like, oh, no, how are we going to get out of here? And then it says real lost. And then it comes back and goes, wow, <laughs> glad we got out of there. And it's so funny. And it's so dumb. <laughs> and, then, and that just kills my dad. He just think it's the funniest thing in the world. Ever. And he's yeah. right because it's very funny. I mean, like, I don't, I don't dislike Robert Rodriguez at all. It's just, I don't know. And I just realized um, we we skipped over a movie. We that, skip over. Oh, we did. Um, we so, did, and I'm so very upset about it. Everyone, uh, just bear with us because we skipped over a movie. Uh, it's I'm pretty sure it's partly my fault because I well I don't like half the movie, um, and that's uh, from Dust Till Dawn. I love From Dust Till Dawn. Um, it's so like. And like we were talking about before we started is like the first half of the movie I love because I feel like that was the half that Quentin wrote because it felt very much like a Quentin Tarantino movie. It's, it is. And it's it's such a great movie only because it does that 180. So it's it's a it's a crime film. These two guys, these two brothers are, you know, shooting people and kidnapping people and kidnapping this old priest or whatever and who has two adopted children. I don't understand that. But anyway, it's uh, Harvey Keitel again. Yeah. And I always tell people it's it's a movie where a, a guy has a cod piece that is also a machine gun and that's not the weirdest thing in the movie. You yeah. know what I mean? And actually the guy um, and you can look him up would be very nice. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the guy who has the cod piece um, in the bar, he does special effects, and he did the special effects for you know like Maniac in the eighties, and okay. this dude, he's awesome. Oh, uh, um, Tom uh, Savini, something like that. People yeah, are gonna be mad at us for is that. It, is it? Uh, is this character called Sex Machine? It, yeah, his character is called Sex Machine, and uh, <laughs> oh he's God. the best part of the movie. He's so funny. Um, but yeah, so it it does that complete one eighty where it melds from a Tarantino movie to a Robert Rodriguez movie, you know, like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and like, like, and I love that they got, I, I, I want to know what they said to George Clooney to get, I mean, granted, yeah, no, that's right. well, granted what, it's, it's it 96. Had, it had to be whatever Joe Schumacher said, to him to get him in Batman and Robin. Oh, it, yeah, we don't. It had to be whatever conversation that was. Yeah, we don't talk about Batman and Robin. That movie's a joke. Well, I'm just saying this movie is so much better than Batman yeah, and Robin. Well, yeah, in fact, I'll, it, I'll go out on a limb and say it might be my favorite George Clooney performance. Yeah, I'll, is in From yeah. Dust Till Dawn. It's so good. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll definitely I'll agree to that. That yeah, Batman and Robin was hot garbage. Like <laughs> Jesus Christ, all the. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger ice puns and yeah that wasn't great that was and the and of course poor Joel Schumacher uh, yeah I mean, if he's listening which that is the probably most probable listener we'll get out of this is Joel Schumacher Joel yeah. Schumacher I apologize um, no, you're not his strongest movie no my no. email address is uh, has a 23 in it because of the number 23 when I created it in high school <laughs> which is thanks to Joel Schumacher so if you're listening sir I 
I, I that's because of you. Thanks. Yeah, but <laughs> but still, I mean, like, I think the reason why I say that is because, like, you know, if you look at George Clooney now, you know, Oscar winner, you know, he's done so much. Yeah, and and then when you look at him in '96, you're like, wait, what? Can I tell you something that's gonna blow your mind? Is that um, George Clooney was in ER? Right. Tarantino directed an episode of ER in the first season. I should know that because uh, my wife, who's actually surprised over there, uh, watches ER. Yeah. I feel like I looked that up and and I was like, what? Yeah, but, he, I think he directed the, the season one finale, I think. Oh. Or something close to that. It was like the 24th episode or something. Hmm. That's interesting. And I don't remember what year that was. I'm sure it was probably before From Dust Till Dawn. Yeah, but, probably. And that's probably how they met. But I mean... I liked it then. Yeah, and, and but like, so going back to it, like the, the reason why I just, I don't like it, like to say it's, I feel like to say it's a bad film, <laughs> just there's no reasoning behind it. It's like when someone says, oh, well, I don't like that. Well, why don't you like that? I just don't like it. Like, <laughs> I don't like it just because of the 180. Like, okay. Like I said earlier, I don't dislike Robert Rodriguez. Yeah. I think he he has his place in in directors. I mean, he gave us Sin City. And Sin City oh, is a fantastic movie, <laughs> which also Quentin Tarantino, guest director. What does that even mean? I don't, I don't get what that means. Was he just there? Hey, and he goes, hey, man, would you essentially it's pretty, would you move that glass to the left? Does that count? <laughs> pretty much it's what happened. Right. Quentin filmed the scene of the monologue between um, – Benicio Del Toro and uh, uh, Clive Owen. He directed that scene. That's all he directed, though. Because Robert, from what I understand, Robert called him up and was like, hey, how would you do this? And he was like, can I just come and do it? And he was like, yeah, Yeah. okay. Um, So, again, don't think Robert Rodriguez is a bad director. I mean, you know, I grew up with the Spy Kids movies. He gave us El Mariachi for $7,000. Yeah, and... and, um, Oh shit! What was the sequel? Desperado. El Mariachi is crazy. Yeah, so. and, and you know, then we have you know, and, and so I don't think he's a bad director, and I think he has his style, but and I think that was, I think that's why I didn't like it because I wasn't expecting Rod, the full Rodriguez. This has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but did you see Alita: Battle Angel? I've heard it's really good. Really? I've heard. I don't know. It's not my thing at all, but I. <laughs> I, I've I've heard it's got Christoph Waltz, which is our next movie, by the way. Yes. So, but we'll get there. I, I've heard it. I've heard it's good. Like I, okay. a lot of people, like it was so good. Like, but I, we would recommend seeing it in 3D. And no. I don't. Again, sidebar. I don't. I don't want that out of, out of a movie experience. Like if 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 they go on the back end and give it some 3D effects, like you need 3D glasses for it. Yeah, that's cool. But if I buy the movie at home. I want to be able to sit there and enjoy it without it having to be in 3D. If the movie has to be good in 3D, is it a good movie? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But but anyway, but you know, I wasn't expecting the full Rodriguez right. in that half. Fucking oh, vampires. It, right. And Are you, you kidding me? It's so me? crazy, right? And it comes out of nowhere. Like if you if you've never seen it and you and if if it's the first time you've seen it and you're like, dude, this movie's dope. We got we got Tarantino being a weirdo. We oh, got oh yeah, with Jeanette Lewis. God, oh boy, oh poor Juliet. Um, oh, that's another um, Natural Born Killers uh, uh, tie-in. Look at that. That's um, right. I'm surprised he doesn't work with Woody Harrelson yet. 
I do love Woody Harrelson. Is he not in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Everyone else is. But we'll I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and we got George Clooney being a badass. With uh, the neck tattoo. Oh. And it goes all the way down his arm. Yeah. Anyway. Um, and then John Hawks is the uh, the guy in the in the convenience store in the first half. I love John Hawks, and so anything he's in, he's the watch. the sheriff, right? He's the he's the guy who works at the convenience oh, store. Yeah, okay. He's the guy with the long hair, and is, you know, gotcha. Yeah. Right, oh, exactly. Okay. All right. But anyway, but yeah, but I mean, and so like the first half, you know, of them at the gas station, you know, you know, they kill John Hawks, they kill the, the sheriff, John Hawks. and. Don't they light it on fire, too? I'm pretty sure. In a roundabout way. Yeah. yeah. You know, then they kidnap Harvey Keitel and his adopted children. Weird. Which anyway, he's I, taking... They never really explained that. And he's taking them to Mexico, right? Yes. Like, it was a trip or some shit? I believe so. Honestly, I don't remember if they were already on their way to Mexico or if after their kidnapped they were told we're going to Mexico. i think it's the I, latter I, I think yeah i, I feel like they the were just point. on a trip yeah and they and they were forced to go to mexico right that's what it was. yeah and so like all of that leading up like it's so tarantino and you're like oh great you know i'm really buying into this movie and then you know they cross the border and they go to the and you know and they're all like you know we're told to you know hang, you know stay at the strip club do you remember what it's called <laughs> titty twister that's right <laughs> God. And do you remember, <laughs> again, my dad, um, also, dad and I love this movie so much. Um, we quote little Cheech Martin. Um, Cheech Martin plays like five different characters. I'm sorry, movie, yeah. But yeah. the the barker outside, we got G pussy, every pussy the way. You know, and he's, oh, yeah. he's naming off all the... <laughs> all of the different types of ladies inside and it's too funny it doesn't age very well yeah oh yeah but it's still we still laugh at it but then you know it's so silly yeah so then you know they're hanging out in the strip club you know Selma Hayek's there oh, Selma Hayek yeah uh, and you know everything's I'm like okay you know it's, it's, it's a little weird but you know it's still going to, and then like you said out of nowhere it's fucking vampires vampires yeah and it's not just like oh we give we're gonna give them fangs and we're gonna give them contact lenses no it's full body oh yeah Prosthetic suits, yeah, fucking uh, webbing between the arms and body. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah, you're selling the movie to me, man. It's so good. I love it. And <laughs> and somehow, Jeanette and Lewis and George Clooney are the only ones that make it out, right? Uh, if yeah. I remember correctly. And then he just fucking leaves her in Mexico. Such a prick move. Wouldn't you? Well, probably. <laughs> yeah, you but, don't need a burden. All right. Which is what children are. I'm and then, just kidding. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> and then, like, isn't it, like, revealed in the final scene that it's, like, this ancient old, like, Aztec temple? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's been there for millennia. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just... Ah, I know. And it... That's where it lost me. Yeah. I was like, no, I, I'm done with I understand this. that that 180 throws a lot of people off, but that's why my dad and I like it so much. <laughs> I mean, like... You either love it or you hate it. I don't think there's yeah. any sort of like, yeah, it was okay. It's one or the other. Yeah, I, I mean, I would agree to that. I mean, like... I'm, I'm really happy we're disagreeing because I don't like when people agree a lot on stuff like oh, this. Oh, yeah. So this is great because I like the movie and I think it's dope. And they made a whole show about it, too. It's a Well, and I've heard the show, show is like nothing like the movie. And I've heard the show is so good. It's got... It's got... Um, what's her face from Baby Driver? Um, She's Salma Hayek's part. Oh, um, 
Uh, We're gonna uh, name it. Um, but the, the the chick that baby likes. Um, no. The, no. Um, no. She. Oh, oh or um, or uh, John Ham's John Ham's wife. wife. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know her name. She's some high expert, and I think it's a it's mostly Hispanic people or Hispanic actors that are in the show. I think. Oh yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Predominantly Hispanic, because I think Robert Rodriguez is like executive producer, blah blah blah, all that stuff. Um, and it was on El Rey, which is the that channel that I'm not quite sure what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh yeah, and then like it was marketed as like a Netflix original as well. Oh, okay. I think. Oh, was it on Netflix? Well, I think I think oh, it was, I think it played on the El Rey network. Yeah, but then, that, but then I think they put it on um, Netflix. Man, they get everything. Um, right. Anyway, so are we have Inglorious Bastards now. Yes. Yay. Yes. So now we're on Inglorious Bastards, which I think everyone should know, because you know, if we're not counting Death Proof, because which I don't, which I, yeah, I know you don't. <laughs> if we're not counting Death Proof, you know, Kill Bill Volume Two came out in two thousand four, and it had been five years since Quentin had done another movie. Yeah. Up to that point. Yeah. Um, and I remember seeing the trailer for Inglorious Bastards. And not knowing what the hell it was, just that it had Brad Pitt in the in, talking in this um, this weird accent, yeah, it's and very, it's not accurate. I I was watching this video, this guy who does dialect work, and he was going over Brad Pitt's accent in Glorious Bastards, and uh-huh. he's like, "It's not quite right. It's I, it's not it's not there." He probably didn't have enough time to prepare, but I will defend that. His character's so over the top, it doesn't matter. Yeah, oh, yeah. He's still my favorite part of the movie. Oh, yeah. Um, Besides Chris F. Waltz, we'll get there. And, and so I'm watching the trailer, and he's talking, you know, about sort of the plot of the movie. And then there's a flash of Hitler, and then it's just Inglorious Bastards. And I was like, what the, what the hell what is, is this? this? I was yeah. like, what is this? And I remember watching it. And again, what we were talking about of, you know, Quentin's nonlinear storytelling you know, heavily using that. And I feel like this movie couldn't work any other way. If it was a linear storytelling movie, I don't know if it would work, have the same impact. I think it would feel more like an HBO show where it's, Mm -hmm. you know, like Deadwood or the wire where it's this scene. We cut to what are these guys up to? You know, then mm-hmm. it's, what are these guys up to? And it's, and it's almost like you know little shorts right. instead of this, which the movie still plays as shorts. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, we have this story, and then we have this story. If, <clears throat> if the first scene didn't exist, which I'm glad it does because oh. it's my favorite oh, in, yeah. in well, the whole movie. Like I could just watch Christoph and, Waltz and that the French actor, and I don't remember his name. Yeah. Um, you get to know everything about Christoph Waltz's character in that scene alone. You know he's charming, he's smart, he's focused, he's driven, and you can't pull the wool over his eyes. He knows what's up. He knows when you're lying. Mm-hmm. You know, and when he goes, Adieu! And then they, and then he points to the floor, and those guys come in, and they... Just Yeah, master- and they masquerade yeah. everyone in the floorboards. I mean, it's insane. And a glass of milk has never looked more terrifying Right. Um, I was actually just about to mention that. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I I would totally agree to that because I was not expecting the movie to open like that. I mean, the movie opens uh, with this beautiful intro. 
uh, of you know showing all the cast and yeah. you know the name the the name of the movie scrawled in like it's not you know he didn't use some like really cool font it's almost like written yeah and again bring what you said with Jackie Brown the trademark at the bottom he likes that um, and people are starting to do that more and more now yeah and and it's so and it's and it sets up that scene so yeah. good because there's no there's no pre pretext to it there's no nothing else to set it up but this black screen with the actors you know written directed yeah. by Quentin Tarantino and then it just goes right into that scene and and it's uh and on, on, I know I'm gonna get shot by all my like classic you know classic majors out there but with it's Beethoven's. Oh, there's um, no way I'm going to be able to answer this. I, I, I'm not even going to try. Uh, but I want to say it's Beethoven's, um, you know, do 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 do, you know, but played very slowly over, you know, the the Nazis pulling up to the house. Mm. It's so, and, and that alone is just gorgeous, and it's ah. and even even there at the very end, we have the girl running out out of the house, and he doesn't shoot her. He ends up not. We already set up two storylines mm. because that's the French gal we meet later. Yeah. Right? Uh, so Shauna. But I was going to say, if that scene didn't exist, my favorite scene in the whole movie would be the bar scene um, oh. with Fassbender and company mm-hmm. and where I learned three and three and those two things are different. So Yeah, for those listening, uh, and if you haven't seen the movie, which I don't understand. Ten-year-old... <laughs> if you listen to this, you've seen it, I'm uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, the German three is you stick your thumb, index finger, and middle finger out. Yeah. That's the German three. You know, the American three, and I guess the British three, is the way we would all do it, middle, index, and ring finger. Yeah. Um, Actually, I do... Uh, I do middle ring and pinky. Pinky, yeah. That's what I do. And so but I'm different. I'm, but yeah, I'm yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. I would have gotten shot at the at the bar because I would be like, oh, three of those, please. <laughs> Who's this? Who did that? Um, well, and and kind of what you're saying about that scene, if the, the if the first scene didn't exist, that would be your favorite scene. And I'll say that scene, I think carries so much more emotion. Have you ever been so nervous in your entire life? Yeah, than the rest of the movie. Yeah, because you're on your seat, especially when when he figures out that they're not who they say they are. I know. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, and everyone's got their guns pointed at everyone's genitals. That's right. The entire time. Um, You know, Michael Fassbender's got his gun pointed at the bad guy's genitals. He's got his gun pointed at his. And then uh, Stieglitz, I can't remember that actor's name. Uh, Yeah. And blatantly, this is before I started really getting into foreign cinema, right? right. I, I obviously I've de- I've dived way deep into that now, but this was the most reading I had ever done in my life. <laughs> was mm, Inglorious wow. Bastards. I wasn't expecting it. Uh, I saw it with my dad because we're huge Tarantino fans, and um, I wouldn't say this one is a favorite of his. Um, he liked the next two so much more than this one. Okay. That we'll do, but um, I we were just so shocked at how much reading there was, and yeah. I was really impressed. Number one, that uh, he must have had—I don't know if he can speak these languages—but he must have had a translator or something have to, you know, sort of. Mm-hmm. And writing it must have been really difficult. I don't know. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure he probably, you know, wrote it in English. And then when they had their cast, like, okay, you're actually going to say these lines, you know, Christoph Waltz, you're, you're going to speak German the majority of the movie. I really wish we knew the answer to this. Quentin Tarantino, if you're listening, 
Um, <laughs> with Joel Schumacher. Um, <laughs> could you please let us know how you wrote it? I'm sure we could find out. Yeah. I'm sure it's somewhere. Uh, but no, yeah, I would agree. Like, I wasn't expecting to to read a movie. So much. Um, yeah. And I remember, I remember when the movie came out, I was working at the drive-in. I want to say it was before I quit and did my loop around and then came back. Um, but I was working at the drive-in, and I was really excited. Oh, with our buddy Bass. Was Bass working there then? <laughs> Whatever happened to that guy? This isn't a podcast about where did our high school <laughs> friends go. But so, you know, you know, welcome back to where did everyone who graduated in 2011 <laughs> disappear to? He's doing good. I, sidebar, everyone. Sorry. <laughs> I think he's living in Dallas now. We could for sure cut this out. Yeah. Uh, but but anyway, um, and so we got it. I was super excited. I was like, great. Next day off, I'm going to come here and watch it. And I remember there was a lull because um, I used to work box office. There was a lull and no customers were coming through. And I stood outside of box office to see maybe some scenes to get a little understanding of the script, the, the, the movie. And that's when I noticed the subtitles. I was like, wait, what? I was like, this can't be the right movie. Yeah. And then when I actually went and saw it, and I was like, I don't know. I would say it's 80%, not oh, in English. Oh, yeah. Um, and what I love, too, is that it's not fast. That he keeps it up there long enough for you to read Thank the whole God. thing. He knew I was going to be watching. Oh, yeah. And, 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 and I feel like if he hadn't left in the subtitles... Like, I still think the movie would have been very powerful. You think? But I feel like we wouldn't have seen... When I say seen, we wouldn't have heard the the real, like, emotion. Especially the scene between Christoph Waltz and uh, Shoshana, the girl he didn't kill, because he hasn't realized it's her. I know. Yeah, they're and they're eating the strudel. And, oh, man. Like, ah. Uh, this movie's so well put together. Oh, yeah. And, and, and we may be able to tie this into... Once upon a time in Hollywood, because it's it's quasi history. This mm-hmm. is this is another universe history, and I read somewhere that maybe he's going to do the same with, with Manson and Sharon Tate and all that. Um, uh, okay, but because in this one, Hitler dies. Yeah, yeah. Hitler dies in the theater, and <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then the whole theater explodes. Right. Um, you know, and I don't even remember what year it takes place in, but uh, it's early. It, uh, it's, it's earlier than he than he actually died. Uh, forty one. There you go. Nineteen forty one. Um, this is four years before. Yeah, yeah. Before he, before he and his uh, wife, I guess, killed themselves. Well, allegedly. Yeah, but but yeah, yeah. And, and for all the conspiracy theorists listening, uh, and I think that's something I loved about it too is that you know being a history buff, seeing not not necessarily an altered version of history, but kind of like someone else's take on what if this happened, you know? Yeah. And and I think that's something that I loved about the movie. And I, you know, so far you, you you've mentioned that Pulp Fiction is your favorite Tarantino movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. Probably. I still so to this day time. don't have a favorite. Okay. If I, I mean, you know, gun to my head, if I had to at least make a list, Inglorious Bastards would be way up on the list. Okay. Because and another thing that I loved about it, and I'm sure most people know, is that Quentin come comes up with his own titles you know he doesn't he never reuses a title and never remakes anything but i remember 
watching an article. No, no, watch, watch it. Yeah, I watched the article. <laughs> watching a video where I, I think it was Quentin saying, no, it wasn't. It was the director of the original movie, Inglorious Bastards, right, yeah. um, which was kind of like the same, not really same premise, but it was same sort of concept, American soldiers going over into German-occupied uh Nazi occupied Germany. Um, but Quentin really wanted the title. Yeah. And from what I understand, he begged that director, like, please let me have the title. That's the perfect title for this. And I think he was required to do something. Like, you're you're required to do this, and I'll give you the title. And I think it, it happens in the trademark. Like okay. some something in something in the that scene where it, the, the title flashes on the screen. It says it. You know, it says Inglorious Bastards, and there's something there that Quentin had to do to get the title. Um, I can't, I can't think of it, but sorry, I'm looking something up for the for the next one. Oh, okay, for the next movie. Um, but yeah, but I mean, but and that's what I love is that you know Quentin's so original, but he knew this was the title for this movie, yeah. Inglorious Bastards, and and like you said, I mean, killer cast. Again, I am a little embarrassed to say that it took the third viewing, I think, to realize that was Mike Myers that talking oh. to Michael Fassbender. Oh, I, I immediately knew it was Mike Myers. As I said, I am embarrassed. Um, um, and I think really showing Mike Myers' range, because, you know, he had him in all this prosthetic makeup. Well, not a lot, but nose. Enough for well, me. I think nose. <laughs> I think they might have put him in a fat suit. Um. And I don't, I don't, I'm pretty sure he didn't grow out the mustache. Um, but he re- heavily, heavily altered his voice. So it wasn't Shrek, you know. And if anyone's seen So I Married an Axe Murderer, you know that Mike Myers can do a proper Scottish accent. But, you know, I, I would, I mean, if I, if I didn't know who I was looking for, I, I could see where, like, oh, that's not Mike Myers. Where's Mike Myers? Yeah, like it took I, me a while. Sidebar: Another movie, Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh yeah. To like when I saw the first trailer, Bohemian Rhapsody, I knew Mike Myers was going to be in it, but I didn't realize the record executive was him. Ooh, I'm going to make some enemies. I didn't like that movie that much. <laughs> <laughs> I know a lot of my friends have all been like, "The Dirt on Netflix is so much better," which is about Molly Crew. Oh, Molly Crew. Yeah. I, I probably won't say that. Either. Sidebar. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, but again, yeah. cast, yeah. great cast, absolutely, yeah. especially with Michael Fassbender, um, showing his range. I like. I think that was the first time I'd ever seen Michael Fassbender. He's, he's real hit or miss these days, but yeah, I I'm a huge fan of his. Yeah, because like I'd seen 300. If anyone's seen Shame, that's that's some that's some acting right there. I, I really love that movie so much. Okay, um, anyway, it's but, uh, yeah, but Steve McQueen. But I feel like. Uh, with this one, I really paid attention to who Michael Fassbender was. Because, yeah. like, I'd seen 300, and that's the only other movie I can think of that he did before this. Yeah. Um, but I didn't really pay attention to him. Like, yeah, his character was great, and, you know, they all die. So, <laughs> but, I, you know, watching him, who's, I'm pretty sure he's... Just like Christoph Waltz, I'm pretty sure he's Austrian. I think he is. I think he was. I think he's German. Honestly, I don't know what his real voice sounds like. So, I, and I've talked about this with other people, and they don't know either. So, it, uh, the, the the easiest way I can say to hear his real voice, uh, watch Assassin's Creed. I will not. 
You can't make me. <laughs> it's, I mean, for those of you, I mean, the, the movie is decent. It's a decent movie. There's no way that's true. Uh, well, it's because I love the games. So, well. And you, you are welcome to your opinion. But I am, you can't make me watch that movie. I mean, I will well, not. well and, and then, you know, he kind of muddies up his voice for X-Men. You know. Yeah. So, but, yeah, I could get that. But, you know, he nailed a British intelligence soldier. Yeah. So good. Um, but yeah, no. Inglorious Bastards. Great movie. It's really good. Yeah. It's, it's such a good movie. Especially, uh, you know, having Eli Roth in it. Yeah. The as, Bear as, Jew. As yeah, a, man. Yeah, the Bear Jew. He is massive. That guy is humongous. I know. And you never think that guy was the director of Hostel yeah. would be that huge. He's humongous. Yeah. And... And also, I mean, I have so much to say about Inglorious Bastards because we get introduced to. Uh, I'm totally gonna butcher his last name, but I'm gonna try my best. Uh, Daniel Bruhl, you know, who plays um, the sniper. Uh, I can't think of his character's name. That's right. Uh, um, Frederick Zolder. Okay. Um, great actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, if anyone's a Marvel fan. He's the guy who pretty much tears the Avengers apart in Civil War. Okay. Brilliantly, if I might add. Yeah, no, no, no. He's he's fantastic. Um, you know, we get introduced to uh, Melanie uh, Laurent. L- 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 she's right. French. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Obviously. But another, you know, I'm pretty sure she's, that was her first, um, I think, kind of like American movie. And yeah. since then, she got, you know, she was in uh, Now You See Me with uh, Mark Ruffalo. She, she was kind of like... Yeah, I didn't see that. Uh, well, I'm sorry. She, well, she, well, she also plays a French character. She's French intelligence. Well, yeah. But, she's French. But great. And the uh, the woman who was in... Oh, uh... Kruger. Is uh, that Diane that? Kruger. Diane Kruger. Um, uh, if you if you loved National Treasure, wait till you see Glorious Passage. Yeah. And... Um, and so it was just a great movie. I think I think it was it had all the hallmarks of a Quentin Tarantino movie, mixed with great writing, a great cast, um, and kind of like what you're saying, an, an altered universe history. Yeah, and it was and it all that together just mixed, and then and then we get to the next movie. Can I tell you what Quentin Tarantino also loves? Spaghetti Westerns. Um, <laughs> spaghetti Westerns is a once derogatory term for Italian filmmakers making Westerns. Yeah, well, I remember you telling me that. I never knew that that was um, that. I think I learned that in college. Um, so Django Unchained. Um, God, I love this. It's so violent. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. I would say of all of his films... This one's probably the most... I wouldn't say the most violent, but it's the most graphic violence. And that's saying something is Kill Bill. She hacks people. Yeah. But this probably has the most gruesome violence. Uh, and, you know, and and I, I, might, I, I might go off on a tangent on this, but th- there's a lot about this movie that I hate it when people say certain things and I'm going to get to what they're saying 
because um, the movie is fantastic. I love this movie a lot. I okay. I I know I mentioned earlier that I don't have a favorite, but if I did have a favorite, it would be Django Unchained. Okay. Because uh, the the soundtrack is great, and I'm not talking about the score. Oh, well, no, I am talking about the score. Well, it's got Jim Croce. I got a name in it, which I love Jim Croce so much. Yeah, I mean, great score, and it also has a great you know original soundtrack. You know, yeah. Rick Ross wrote a song that. <laughs> Yeah, Rick Ross. That he worked with Quentin. Rick and Jose. Yeah. As, I, as I recently found out, he worked with Quentin to to make that song, yeah. 100 Black Coffins. That's right. Um, great cast. We, we got more Christoph Waltz. And we get Jamie Foxx. And we get Jamie Foxx. And who, sidebar, uh, Will Smith was originally offered the role. I'm really glad Jamie Foxx did it instead. I am too. I love Will Smith. Mm. The fresh, you know, he recently has not been doing well. Bright. For example, I'm sorry, uh, David Ayer. If you were listening, David Ayer. You, <laughs> uh, but Bright was not a good movie. Netflix should not have ordered a second one. Um, but no, I'm glad that Will turned it down for, I think he said, scheduling conflicts. I will go out on a limb and say that, man, it is a tie for me. Best Leonardo DiCaprio performance. <sighs> Yeah. Um, it's either this one or The Departed for me. Um, oh, are you a cop? <laughs> you a cop? I'm not a cop. <laughs> Don't get me doing Boston accents because I'll do it for hours. <laughs> and he is so over the top in this one, and mm-hmm. it works so well. Oh yeah, and you know, and I know, and I know everyone knows about this because I've talked to multiple people about this. But the whole hey, cuts his hand, yeah, mid scene, and told Quentin keep rolling, yeah. And I'm sure, I'm sure he had to profusely apologize to Kerry Washington. Well, it's um, it's fake blood for Kerry Washington when he oh. rubbed on her face. Okay, see, I never, I thought yeah. it was a hundred percent. I know because I was like, there's no way they'd let him do that because that's that's some health violations. Yeah, and I'm sure Kerry Washington probably kicked his ass for it. Yeah. Um, okay, well, that's good to know. So yeah, I'm sure right like, before he did it, they were like, yeah, because there's there's a cut between those. And so he cut his hand, didn't tell anyone, and I'm sure they noticed, but he's so good, and he is just so focused on this scene. Um, lots of other actors have done this. Uh, we have uh, Jake Gyllenhaal in, just recently in Nightcrawler, slammed that mirror and sliced his hand open. Really? And went to the hospital, came back same day, finished the finished the day out. So, okay. Well, yeah. but yeah. and People do this shit all the time. Oh, yeah, and it's like and and I think this is the first time uh yeah yeah first time Leo worked with Quentin and and I think Leonardo DiCaprio was perfect for a Quentin yeah. Tarantino I, I if I'm being honest after seeing Django I wish they would have done something sooner yeah. like even if it was something minor but having him in but um and you know kind of bringing back up that YouTube channel Aliens Guide because they did something over Django oh, okay um, something that they mentioned with Leo's character Calvin Candy is you know they talked about you know if anyone doesn't know which I can't you should know film takes place uh, at the the like like the the tail end right before the Civil War right it's like a year or two before the Civil War I have no idea Pretty I, sure. I couldn't answer that for you. <laughs> I mean, I'm, um, 
It's uh, 1858. Uh, yeah, I think that's like right before the Civil War. Or, <laughs> I don't remember. I'm an idiot. I don't know when the Civil War happened. <laughs> um, so, so there's I went to public school. So there's slaves involved, and so one of the things they talked about was you know the the, the classifications of um, um, kind of almost like ranks, you know, and and labels like how. So one of the big things they talked about is how Calvin de- almost demands that they call him Monsieur, Monsieur Candy, Candy. Right. Uh, but don't speak French to him. He doesn't know French. Exactly. Yeah. And they pointed out that you know it's you know it's it, it, his stature in this world. Yeah. You know it wasn't earned. Yeah. And and as where. Um, I I'm totally butchering what they said because it's a great video. If anyone loves watching kind of breakdowns on YouTube. Look it up. Aliens Guide, Django Unchained. Um, but, you know, and, I, and that's something that I love that Quentin really involved in is that you see that he, that his character demands this title, even though yeah. he hasn't earned it. Right. Robert. Um and can, can I segue? Yeah. The title. The title of the movie. Mm-hmm. Let's go to the title of the movie, Django. Django Unchained. Um... Why is that a big deal? Do you know why that's a big deal? Uh, there is a series of spaghetti westerns called Django. Okay. The actor who plays Django um, is, and I'm Franco Nero. Okay. Um, is a and he is um, in John Wick two in Rome, and he asks John Wick if he's there to kill the Pope. That's um, oh, that's Franco oh, Nero. The, he, he's the. Uh... He's the uh, the Italian manager of the Continental. That's right. Okay. So the Ian McShane of that one in in Django Unchained uh-huh. um, at <gasps> Candyland Ranch. Um, he says he goes, "What's your name?" And he goes, "Django." Um, the D is silent. The D, and he goes, "I know," because he's Django as well. Ah, uh, yeah, I, exactly. I know. Well, it, well, wasn't that Candyland Ranch? They were they're at the hotel oh, or yeah, whatever. Hotel. Okay. Yeah, but but yeah, I know. The, oh, I never knew yeah. that. Yeah, so that's um, so again, what a huge get <laughs> for I, Quentin to get uh, Franco Nero uh, to be in a movie that is the same title as. As, the as, series of movies he was in. That's yeah, fantastic. Oh, wow, that's um, amazing. So I had, look, I had to look up his name, too. I knew I'd butcher it, um, <laughs> even though it's well, simple like, And one of the things, and so this is where I guess uh, I'm going to involve, not necessarily politics, but, like, this is the thing I was mentioning, how, like, I hated a lot of people mentioning is, like, and I'm not going to name names because I don't want people to feel like. I just do it. Who cares? Uh. But like I, I heard it several times that Django was incredibly racist, and when I wanted an explanation, two different people, same explanation, it's racist against white people, and I was like, uh, "Excuse me, oh boy," and it's because of the line of 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 Django saying that he gets to kill white people yeah. and get paid doing it. Yeah. And my well, he, argument is he's he, a slave. He he's wants a former to. slave. Yeah, he wants to do that. Yeah, I, of course he wants to kill white people. And furthermore, it's written and directed by probably the whitest dude anyone would probably meet. His name is Quentin. Yeah. Anyway, uh and that it just bothers me. Like luckily now I haven't heard anyone say it's a racist movie, but 
Especially remember, races against a white. That's ridiculous. It, um, no. Yeah. It's such... So, well, I mean, to talk about some of the, the tension in the film was um, Leo DiCaprio did not feel comfortable saying the N-word. I, I would believe it. Yeah. And, I mean... Uh, <laughs> and Samuel Jackson pulled him aside. He goes, man, motherfucker, this is a Tuesday for us. All right? Just say it. It's not going to bother me. And it made me laugh. And it's also a little true. But... Um, but it was it was Samuel Jackson kind of knocked him out of him. He goes, "Don't worry about it. Just say it. Who cares? It's a movie." Oh, I mean, oh yeah. I mean, and I think that's just part of the the stigma. Even though I'm sure Leo, who you know, finally award winning actor, you know, he should have got it for this one. Oh, oh, totally. <laughs> I mean, over the Revenant for sure. I. Still haven't seen The Revenant. Oh, I will so good. I will eventually watch it because I love Alejandro and you read He's the best. And man. I think we'll save that for another oh, can episode. Can we do a whole episode on <laughs> Alejandro and Ritu movies? Because I'm in for sure. He's one of the greatest directors of all time. Uh, I'd but, say he's better than Tarantino. I'll say it right now. He's better than Tarantino. All right. Anyway. Sorry. Back uh, to the like, Tarantino podcast. But like, I would understand why he'd be so uncomfortable because, you know... And it's not meant to be serious Western, but Blazing no. Saddles. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Not Django, but Blazing Saddles. You know, I can't think of the actor's name, but his character's name is uh, Clyde. Mm-hmm. Um, the one who's like, you know, y'all would think it's a... 115 degrees. Can't be more than 114. <laughs> Apparently, incredibly uncomfortable saying the n-word and yeah. and um i'd never heard of cleavon little pulling him aside but i i feel like i read somewhere where he, like mel brooks like sat him down and was like look the reason why i'm having you say it is you know because i'm showing how ridiculous racism is yeah and of course you know i could do I could talk forever about Blazing Saddles. Uh, I, yeah. It's fantastic. <laughs> uh, but no, I would understand. I mean, like, if I was Leo in that situation. Oh, absolutely. I, I would, for I, sure. There's a great SNL sketch. Um, at, when 12 Years a Slave came out, oh, they no. had a sketch of um, people coming in to audition to be slave owners. And it is so funny. Because <laughs> oh, they don't want they don't want to read the script. It is, it's too funny, man. And that's that's how we felt, you know? And I completely, I completely understand. Oh, yeah. And, but, I mean... And I think that just shows that Leo's, you know, even though he knew, like, okay, I'm acting, we're just taking place during slavery, it was in the rise in America. But I feel like that shows how very tolerant he was. My argument would have been, did you see Pulp Fiction and Tarantino's part in Pulp Fiction? Yes. Um, I can't believe we kind of scaved over <laughs> that. But <laughs> Which is so ridiculous. Yeah, we're, we're not going to say what... what Quentin said. I mean, but, you know, yeah, and it, if it's you, an iconic scene. It's the Bonnie situation. That's the that's the part of the film, and he's you, you know. know. D- does Jimmy store? You know, d- does does he store yeah, everything? Does, is he? Uh, yeah, um, dead something storage. Uh, I'll tell you what. That's not what's outside <laughs> his. That's not uh, a sign outside his house. Oh yeah, uh, since it's straight to Samuel Jackson's face. No, oh, yeah, <laughs> um, but. Uh, and again, with the great casting, you know, we, I think the only, if I remember correctly, I don't, because I, I didn't really pay attention to a lot of the minor characters. Uh, Don Johnson was Big Daddy. Oh, oh yeah. Big Daddy. Uh, but the only, so great. I think the only two 
uh, actors he brought back was Samuel Jackson and Christoph Waltz. Yeah. Because got to have some more Christoph Waltz. Of course. Especially with that giant, glorious oh, beard. What a great beard. I, I People can't see because this is an audio medium, but I have one right now, and it is not great. <laughs> and I'm keeping it forever. Yeah, I... I miss how long my beard used to be. Side, sidebar about beards, but um, but then yeah, Don Johnson, yeah, freaking Miami He's, Vice. Yeah, Miami Vice is in it. That's uh, and then um, did you know? I'm sure you did. I, I know. I know you probably did. But Jonah Hill was supposed to have a bigger part in the movie. I actually did not know that. Um, but it was. But because of another movie, he didn't think he could do it anymore. So he backed out, and Quentin wrote the part out. Because uh, from what I understand, he wrote it for Jonah. So Quentin was like, all right, not a big deal, and he wrote the part out. Obviously, not that most important part. Because What a great scene it was, though, them arguing about the eye holes in, <laughs> oh, in the hood. fucking with my eye hole. <laughs> it's so that, that's my dad's great. favorite part. Oh, really? I don't know why. Well, because it's hilarious. It's so funny. And it cut and it cuts the tension out, because they're about to go kill. Yeah. Schultz and and Django. Yeah. And they're, they're talking about their eye holes yeah, for their their KKK, KKK mask before it was the, yeah. And then Joan Hill rips his. <laughs> My god, does anyone have any extra bags? <laughs> It's seen. It's so bold. And, and, and the guy's wife made him. He goes, "God damn it, my wife made it. You make your own goddamn bag, whatever." It's so. It's it's gold. It's, it's, it's yeah. Thing. You're you're right. It's um, and, and and again, another movie. I wasn't expecting it to go the way it went. Um, yeah. Like I knew, yeah, freed slave. Um, but they really left out. I feel like I only saw one trailer where you see Leo. Yeah. Through all of the other trailers, I remember watching Leo's not even in the trailer. And so I wasn't expecting it. Like, oh, shit, it's Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. Um, and then you have Carrie, you know, Carrie Washington. Uh, and I think one of my favorite scenes in that movie, <clears throat> and a very intense scene, uh, is with uh, Walter Goggins. I love um, but Yeah, love Walter Goggins. And he's uh, trying to cut off yeah. Django's balls. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why I love it. I think it's because of the intensity, because, like, I mean, any guy out there, like, ooh, because he's got this hot knife. I mean, it is. And Jamie Foxx upside down. I crossed my legs for sure a few times. I oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and and, and I, I love Walker, Walter Goggins so much. He's, he's so good. He's the, it's it's Walton, by the way. Walton, <laughs> he's, see, I always Walton, miss. Walton, if you're listening, oh, we apologize. I, I, he apologizes. I, I apologize. Because I feel like every sidebar, like I feel like every time I'm like, oh, that's it's Walter Goggins. And I'm like, wait, that doesn't sound right. And I'll look it up. Oh, it's Walton. Walton. And right. then the very next day, I forget it again. Yeah, like um, watching Ant Man and the Wasp. I was like, oh, yeah. I, and then I was he's like, so oh. great. Um, my dad, I keep bringing up my dad, I'm sorry. Uh, he, <laughs> he really likes um, Sons of Anarchy. Right, and he plays a transvestite, and and oh, uh, that's, that's amazing. And, it's, and he's so good at it, you know. And he's good at everything. He was in Justified, and he's whatever. And he's going to be in the next movie we talk about, and you know, oh yeah, or that I talk about, yeah. We'll get uh, to that. But no, like in and again, something something that I noticed, and I haven't really noticed it in all the previous movies we talked about, but I, you know, we mentioned it in. Glorious Bastards, you know, the milk scene. Mm-hmm. The milk is heavily highlighted. Um, and Django, the only scene that really comes to mind where things are really highlighted is the scene where 
Jingo talks his way out of, you know, it's after the whole shootout at Candyland. Mm-hmm. Uh, great scene, by the way. It is fantastic really scene. I yep. mean, I, I hated seeing Schultz die. Hated that scene. It was about right. I was really wanting them to eat white cake. I was really. Uh, oh yeah. I was like, man, they're really, they're really going ham on this white cake, man. I, I want to see it. Uh, <laughs> I want to see that cake. They're but really you know, great scene. And then you know, they're they're gonna give Django to like some mines. And then he talks his way out of, you know, the Australians that are transporting them, which Quentin Tarantino is one of them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> dies, of course. You know, so see, he dies in Reservoir Dogs. Doesn't die in Pulp Fiction. Um, supposedly he's in Inglorious Bastards. But I don't, I don't remember. remember I don't remember seeing him. But that movie is so... Dense with characters, right? Exactly. I mean, it's, yeah. it, you probably blinked and you missed him. I'm sure. And I have to say it again, which yeah, but, I might uh, later. But we know it's him in Django. Yeah, and he's doing an accent. And, and Quentin, we love you. Uh, it's not the best Australian accent. <laughs> we love you. Great movie. Love seeing you in your own movie. But thank you for listening, by the way. The, yes. The, yeah. Uh, please subscribe. Uh, <laughs> um. But but still a great scene, and then you know Django makes his way back to Candyland, and then one of the first things he does before he, you know, rigs the house to blow, and then, you know, kills Samuel Jackson and and Calvin's sister, you know, he kills all the ranch hands. Yeah. And I feel like that scene was so highlighted with with lighting. Yeah. Uh, especially because uh, especially one of the guys is in the the bath, and oh, yeah. Django just goes and shoots him and. I noticed it, and I'm sure you noticed it too. Shoots him in the dick. Yeah. While you know, because he stands up and then, poof, yeah, off with the penis. <laughs> um, but like, and I feel like Quentin, especially in those two movies, Inglorious Bastards and Django, really uses the lighting to, you know, uh, accent everything that's happening around it. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah Django's, Django's photography is great. Oh yeah, and, and, and Django is great. Such a good movie. Um, very, and I'm probably I'm probably the only one who thinks this. I feel like it's a very underrated Quentin Tarantino movie. The reason why I think that is just because, like, when you say, you know, Quentin Tarantino, you know, most people go to Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, Kill Bill, and Glorious Bastards, but rarely do I ever see anyone immediately jump to like, oh yeah, Jingo and Jane. Yeah, I would say the same for Jackie Brown as well. No one ever. Oh yeah. Yeah. No one ever says Jackie Brown. No one ever says. Django Unchained. You're right. Yeah, but it's a great movie. Yeah. Won a lot of awards. Won the awards it deserved. Yeah. Especially for Christoph Waltz. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, very, I feel like a very underrated movie. And so now, moving on to his next Western, which I still haven't seen. Well, hold on. I have one more thing that's going to blow your mind okay. about Django Unchained. Okay. Um, in, in the movie, Django's last name is Shaft. Um, really, it is. It is supposed to be the great, great, great grandparents of John Shaft, oh, Samuel it, Jackson Shaft. It, well, or the original Shaft. Yeah, that's uh, that's, that's yeah. It's supposed to again, just paying homage to black exploitation films of the the seventies. Um, it is supposed to be the descendants of John Shaft. That's yeah. That's oh, so funny. Yeah. And having um, you know, oh god. Hang on. I'm going to hate myself if I don't. It, uh, um, Bruce Dern being in it. Bruce Dern. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so moving on to you know his next 
Western, which I still haven't seen. I the own it. Late. It's so good. It's on my bookshelf of all my movies. I just, I just haven't taken the time. I think the reason why I haven't seen it. I think the reason I haven't seen it is because I didn't see it when it came out in theaters. I missed. I missed the theatrical release. Shame. I know. Um, and it took me forever to buy it. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason why, and I feel like everyone knows the history of this, is that you know it got leaked. When yeah. when Quentin was in pre production, yeah. you know the script got leaked, and he, understandably, I mean, he threw fit and was going to scrap the entire thing and then release it as a book, mm-hmm. which I still would love to read. I'd love to read a a, a book version. Well, he's also thinking about this one as a stage adaptation as well because it's uh, yeah. so dialogue driven. I've, I've heard like that Reservoir Dogs, yeah. Um, and so you know, so you're going to be the one mainly talking about it because well, I've only the only things I've seen is what I've seen in the trailer. Yeah. You know, um, and I don't, I'm not like scared to watch it because I'm worried I will dislike it. I just, I think because I put it off so long is why I haven't watched it. I'll probably, I meant to watch it before we did this, but. Yeah. And also it's long. So Uh, it's about three hours. Oh, Jesus. Um, Well, I mean, Avengers Endgame is three, is going to be three hours long. Man. Yeah. But can't wait for that. Uh, That's going to be great. Um, So. His next Western, you right. know, again, he loves Westerns. So this one is, like I said, more dialogue driven. Um, I mean, it's a lot of you look in. It's a tennis match for people talking. Right. Mm. Kurt Russell is amazing. Oh, in it. Yeah, of course. Walton with, with Goggins. The, with the big, yes. big giant mustache that he grew for yeah. the movie. It's so great. And um, Jennifer Jason Lee is also in it. Um people who don't know who Jennifer Jason Lee is, she is in who I'm going to do a deep cut um, just to piss people off. They're like, I haven't seen that either, is um, Dolores Claiborne. Uh, she plays the daughter of Dolores Claiborne. Okay. Um, in that one. Anyway, um, she was also in Weeds or whatever, I don't know. So, throughout the film, she looks worse and worse. So, she is um, Kurt Russell's Bounty. Bounty, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I knew that. And every time she messes up, he clocks her right in the face every time. And so throughout the film, she just gets worse and worse and worse. So she just gets more beat up as the movie goes along. And I thought that was hilarious. I'm, I don't know if it's supposed to be funny, but I thought that was so funny. Um, but anyway, all of a sudden, um, we open with a Marconi score. And you're like, I mean, again, knowing the history of Westerns, you know, Eno Marconi is the man. So, like, right. he did the, you know, the, you know, that's, oh, okay. that's Marconi. He did all of, um, he worked with, hang on, oh, man, now that we're talking, and we can probably cut all this out. <laughs> <laughs> the, oh, Jeremy, do your job. Anyway, um, Sergio Leone. I can't believe I couldn't think of the, the name Sergio Leone. So anyway, um, you know, he did like Duck You Sucker. Uh, he did Once Upon a Time in the West, Fistful of Dollars, Few Dollars, Morgan, Bet the Ugly. I mean, this guy scored... All of these amazing, amazing westerns. Right. And he is so old now. And <laughs> he finally, you know, did this huge thing and he finally got some accolades 
for the Hateful Eight. Really? Um, yeah. I mean, it, it takes a long time for this guy to get some accolades. Um, but as I've been saying this entire time, he gets some people. You know what I mean? And mm. this is the, I think the biggest get of his career is getting Marconi to do the score. Oh, yeah. Of the film. It's so incredible. Um, this film also has Mads Mikkel, and uh, Mads Mikkelsen, um, the, Michael the, Madsen. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, Mads. <laughs> if you're listening. Um, oh, my God. I'm so sorry. I love Hannibal so much. You were the second best Hannibal. Oh, no. He's the first best. He's so good. That show but is Anthony so Hopkins, good. Anthony Hopkins, though. This show is so good, Rain. You don't know. Anyway. I, well, I do know. I've seen the first season. Well, oh, half God. the first season, a little bit of the second season. Oh, my God. <laughs> you guys listen to this. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Michael Madsen. Um, Tim Roth. Yeah. Uh, Bruce Dern. Um, Samuel Jackson is back. Yes, Samuel Jackson. Um, his name... Uh, oh, Mexican Bob. Shit. Um, <laughs> what is his name? Damien. Damien Bashir. Okay. Is that right? B I C H I R. Bashir. Thank you. Okay. Damien Bashir. Um, uh, Walton Goggins. And they all meet at Mimi's haberdashery, right? Haberdashery is such a cool word that I love so much. And. Uh, tension ensues. You know, I, I don't want to talk too much about it because you haven't seen it and it's so good and there are twists and turns and and it, they're, the reason they meet up and they can't go to Round Rock where Kurt Russell needs to drop off Daisy Domergoo is a huge blizzard, right? Right. Yeah, it, I remember, yeah, it, like all the posters were like heavily marketed that it's a blizzard. Yeah. Why they're all stuck there. Yeah. And I mean, and there are some some really good typical Quentin Tarantino style, style comedy in there. There's, uh, I mean, it's heavily, heavily, heavily dialogued. Um, yeah. I remember everyone saying that, you know, if he had scrapped the project and went had done a stage play, it would have worked. Oh, absolutely. It's still even. Can- even Tim Roth, uh, that same interview, said, like, yeah, it totally would have worked. Yeah. He's like, because we're all just in one set. That's right. Yeah. Um, the only the only weird part would be just the getting them getting them there. Getting them but there. once they're there, they're there for the rest of the movie, you know? Yeah. I feel like I, there's, like, only, like, one scene. It's, like, between Samuel Jackson and Kurt Russell where they're outside. Yeah. Right. And they, they go to Mimi's haberdashery together. And then they meet up with the rest of the the gaggle of characters. Okay. <laughs> the, the I don't know gaggle is that right? Gaggle yeah. of characters, a murder of characters, a mur- like a murder of crows. But yeah, I I really want to watch it because like when when I heard that he was going to do another western, uh, I did such a terrible job with that synopsis by the way we were looking we were like you skipped over all so much I know I skipped over all much you hadn't seen it yet yeah if I had seen it I, I probably would have been able to uh, do more with this conversation about The Hateful Eight because like I, I do want to see it like I when I when I bought it because Best Buy had it on sale for I think like eight bucks you hear that people go to Best Buy it's on sale for eight dollars yeah <laughs> and I was like you know what it's the only one I haven't seen I need to watch it yeah. bought it 
stuck it on my shelf with all in alphabetical order. Still haven't watched it. You used it. in alphabetical order? Well, it, it goes Blu-ray, all alphabetical order, and then it goes DVD, all in alphabetical order. That would drive me crazy. Well, minor genre order. Anyway, uh, I mean, yeah, um, that's what most people say I should it, do. Actually, they're a chronological order within the genres. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's um, it's not. It, there's no way it could matter any less. But anyway. but uh, but I I want I want to see it. You know, and um, and if and I, like I said, I think I think the real reason why I haven't seen it is just because I I didn't see it when it came out, and so I didn't get to you know get in to the theater and actually see it yeah um you know and me and ashley are huge quentin tarantino fans um i'll probably i'll probably watch it um and probably after i finish reading uh, supermarket which sidebar oh. we're mentioning we're talking about quentin tarantino but uh one of my favorite rappers is logic um, and he, if most people didn't know this, he wrote a book. It's called Supermarket. It's an actual book. It's not like an autobiography or anything like that. It means it's it's a novel. It's a fiction. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a, f- a fiction. Um, and Quentin Tarantino is one of Logic's like big influences. More to the point of you know most people who are Logic fans know that he wrote two mixtapes, and it's called Bobby Tarantino. Um, but. Um, but once I finish reading Supermarket, I'll probably finally sit and watch The Hateful Eight because I, I want to watch it before. And I'm going to just, we're just going to jump into the next one, the ninth movie. Yeah. Um, which we can't really talk a whole bunch about because it's not even out yet. yet. But it's um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, because really excited. About yeah, because I definitely want to watch The Hateful Eight before that comes out because uh, I don't want to be two Tarantino movie behind, two movies behind. <laughs> um, but I'm so excited for this. Yeah, like I'm really excited. About like that. when I heard he was doing it, I was like, awesome, more Tarantino. And then when they finally showed, well, when they finally released the uh, brief synopsis on IMDb about it, yeah. I was like, this is going to be gold. Oh, it's, uh, you know, it's the Manson murder, so thank God. <laughs> and, and you have Leo and Brad Pitt mm-hmm. as the leading men of the movie, um, which I don't, I've never seen them in a movie together. Yeah, I don't think they have. I, I, and I think that makes such a, like, a lethal combination. Yeah, I'm really excited to see what they do. And also, I mean, they're not the only star power in this. I mean, we got uh, Margot Robbie. Robbie. This is Sharon Tate. We got um, Timothy Oliphant is going to be in it as well. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That, and yeah. Um, the guy who played Dewey Crow on uh, in Justified, also with Timothy Oliphant, um, is um, Charles Manson. And, and he's also going to play Charles Manson in something else, too. Really? Yeah. I mean, he's doing them back-to-back, and he's Charles Manson in both. <laughs> huh. Which is crazy. Well, and what's also really crazy is is Quentin got um, uh, Harley Quinn Smith, Kevin Smith's okay. daughter, yep. to be in it, uh, and Maya Hawke, Ethan Hawke's daughter, wow. to be in it. And uh, I think from the screenshots I've seen, or the screenshots, the set photos I've seen, I think they're just going to be kind of like the groupies of Charles Manson's cult. I could do... Four hours of a podcast talking about Ethan Hawke. Yeah. I am a huge Ethan Hawke fan. And so they got his daughter. That's really neat. She was in Boyhood. No, that's Richard Linklater's daughter. Never mind. Really? Mm-hmm. She was the daughter. She was the, the sister in Boyhood, was um, Richard Linklater's daughter. That's my bad. We can cut that out, but we probably won't. Gotcha. 
Oh, I'm just reading this. Uh, apparently, uh, Bruce Dern's going to be in it. I do love me some Bruce Dern. Um, but apparently, his role was originally offered to Burt Reynolds. Mm. Uh, but oh. when, but when, but he, uh, but Burt, you know, unfortunately died. He did. I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, that's, before they that's before they sad. got to film any any of his scenes, so they. I mean. Bruce Dern is a great actor. Oh, I, mean, I love Bruce Dern. Bruce Dern and his daughter Laura. Oh, fantastic. Laura Dern. Again, we need to do a David Lynch one, but um, I love Laura Dern so much. She's fantastic. Uh, do you but, have? This is a sidebar. Do you have um, HBO? Yeah. You need to see The Tale. Um, it's an HBO original movie, and okay. um, it's about this this woman who was sexually abused when she was a girl, and Laura Dern is the adult version, and it's crazy. You gotta see it; it's insane. Well, you mentioned David Lynch. Is it is it David? No, it's not. No, no? Oh, okay. No, I, she's just in a lot of David Lynch stuff, and I love David Lynch very much. Well, I would. I, I'm gonna also say he's a better director than Tarantino was. <laughs> I am not a Tarantino expert, um, so next time we do this, we do something I'm much better at. Uh, well, I mean, and well, I, so I, you know, more sidebar, you know, uh, with David Lynch, all I've really seen is Twin Peaks. Oh my God, I and, can give you, and even then, all of his stuff that I have, and even then, I haven't. It would take you a while. Even finished Twin Peaks yet? You need to. You need to skip to the finale so you can see the return because the return is brilliant. Well, it's the it's probably the best television I've ever seen. Well, I'm, if I remember correctly, I've, I've finished season one because season one was like what six episodes, and then season two was like twenty two episodes. If you've if you've seen anything David Lynch, and if you've seen Twin Peaks, I'm going to promote a podcast that I love very much. It's uh, Enter the Void with William Butler and Renan Borelli. And Borelli? Borelli? Anyway. Um, they have a few episodes on The Return, and they do, like, Fire Walk With Me, and they talk about Blue Velvet and Eraserhead and Mulholland Drive and Inland Empire. So if you, if you love David Lynch, you'll really like mindfuck movies like that, Enter the Void, go listen to it right now. Okay. Well, yeah, well... I- Turn off this shit. Go listen to it. It's great. I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> I think I'm doing a good job. <laughs> uh, well, and well, let's see. And I know this was supposed to be all about Quentin Tarantino, but now I'm talking about David Lynch. Oh, but it kind of it kind of loops back to Quentin Tarantino because my friend Quentin oh, was the that, one who told me I need to start watching Twin Peaks. That was a lame. <laughs> that was a lame connection to what we're talking about, and you know it. <laughs> Uh, but he was the one who told me I need to start watching Twin Peaks, and yeah, and he he was like, yeah, he was like, you. He didn't like say rush through the original. He's like, but he was like, watch the original two seasons. He's like, and then get to the get to the return. Get to the return. He's like, because the return it's, is, I'm telling you, the most incredible 18 hours of television you'll ever see. <laughs> well, and well, and I don't have Showtime, so I might have to go and actually buy it. Yep, it's worth it. Um, it's worth buying it. Buying a Blu-ray. But. Uh, but back to you know, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. It's going to be great. I think I, – I, I do have a feeling he might do this quasi-reality uh, and this, this right. quasi-history, you know. I have a feeling it might be that again. Yeah, because, you know, something else uh, is he uh, is including um, uh, 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 Bruce Lee. Uh, there's oh, there's an oh, actor playing right. actor playing Bruce Lee in it, so I'm yeah, right. I could definitely see see it being um, kind of what you're saying, it's, sort it's of a retelling, qu- yeah, yeah. Um, but from what I 
one I'm seeing here is that it's uh, it's going to weave quote multiple storylines and tribute to the final moments of Hollywood's golden age, mm-hmm. which I, I would say that you know the '60s, the late '60s Hollywood kind of yeah. I mean, there's been a lot of great movies since the 60s, but... Yeah, I would say that. But, but the golden right. age of Hollywood, yeah. It was pretty much the last days of the golden age, because we're thinking golden age as in, like, you know, the studio years, right? Or studios right. owned the actors, and the studios, you know, had so much and wouldn't compromise with intellectual property. And so, I mean, mm-hmm. anyway, it's... Um, well, and I like film history. The, the one thing that kind of stresses me out about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is it's being heavily marketed as like, yeah, this is his ninth film. Um, That's what they did with Hateful Eight, by the way. Yeah, well, and I think it's because you know, I heard a rumor a long time ago that Quentin only wanted to make ten films in his career. Yeah. And And he is sticking with it, I think. I think after Once Upon a Time, we're getting one more, and that's it. Well, I mean, then he's got the the untitled Star Trek project. I don't know what that is or what that means. Well, so so he... Is it like when he directed ER? (laughs) No, well, apparently he's writing a Star Trek movie. um, And it's supposed to... Not be like involved with the JJ Abrams. It's separate. Yeah, and apparently JJ is like super supportive of it. Like, yeah, do it, totally do it. Um, but then there's also rumors that he's going to direct it. Okay. Um, which Uh-oh. from what I yeah from what I understand that he wasn't going to direct it. He was just going to write it. Boom. There you go. Yeah. Um, but now there's a lot of rumors going around that he's going to he's going to direct it. Which if the if it is that he sticks to, I'm only doing 10 films, uh, I wonder if he would be like, well, that doesn't count. That doesn't... Yeah, because I think Kill Bill Volume 3 is also on the list. Yeah, because I've heard yeah, Is heard that going to count too? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Is that just going to count as, you know, adding to that one? Yeah, I don't know. Because yeah, on IMDb, it, it, it lists that um, Star Trek yeah. under his directorial yeah. stuff. So I, I don't know. I mean... If I'm being honest, and I know this is gonna upset a lot of people out there, uh, I'm I'm not really a Trekkie. I'm not either. I, I like Star Wars, but I'm not really a Trekkie, so I don't. I'm not a Star Wars person either. I don't. Oh boy, I just alienated a lot of people. <laughs> uh, I don't really care, like what happens with this film. I mean, like Quentin has probably some of the best dialogue writing I've ever seen. Yeah, but I don't really care what happens with this movie. I mean. It'll probably be very dialogue heavy. Yeah, I hope. Um, which will be good. I mean, not saying that the J.J. Abrams... Well, I've only seen the two J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies. I haven't seen the third one. That's but not third one. Not, not saying that they're bad, but... Yeah. It's just not your thing. Well, it's not your, well, not, not, it's not your it's thing, just, and it's not, you know... And that stuff really isn't my thing. Like, no. anime's not my thing. I don't, I don't, <laughs> feet aren't my thing. We, listen, Quentin... Quit it. <laughs> Quit it with the feet. I don't like it. <laughs> he's going you know to change also, it. also, do you, man. Do you. I respect that you know what you like. So Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so before, I think, before we end it, uh, we can talk about some of the movies that he's influenced. So, like, kind of going back to, like, you know, you've seen Hateful Eight and I haven't. Yeah. Um, you know, True Romance. Which I have not seen. Uh, I have. 
It's great. Um, I know Gary Oldman's got dreads in it, and that's all I want to see. Uh, I just want to see Gary Oldman be Gary Oldman for a while. I'm, I'm going to be honest. Uh, he dies. Oh, um, Gary Oldman. Uh, uh, <laughs> oh, man. Christopher Walken is in it. He's I a gangster. I love Christopher Walken. And uh, he, sends a hit, he sends a hit squad to kill Gary Oldman. And so Quentin, Quentin wrote this one. Yeah. Quentin, like yeah, from I, Dust Till Dawn. So he wrote from Dust Till Dawn. And but he didn't direct it. This is the same thing. Who directed this one? Uh, Tony Scott. Oh, God, uh, I love Tony. May he rest in peace. I do really like Tony Scott movie. Uh, I don't know of any other Tony Scott movies I've seen besides True Romance. Made on Fire. Uh, Deja Vu. Oh, Top Gun. I'm I'm a dunce. <laughs> um, and again, Man on Fire. And uh, the, 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 I've seen Man on Fire. I've seen uh, Deja Vu. Mm, Unstoppable. No, I haven't seen Deja Vu. Uh, I haven't seen Unstoppable either. Uh, I would say Ridley is the more talented brother, but I do really enjoy Tony Oh, he's Scott. Ridley Scott's brother? Yeah. I mean, that's Scott. Yeah, they have uh, Scott Free was their um, production company. Come oh, my on, God. Man. That's awesome. Um, but True Romance, it, it's... Yeah, True Romance. Uh, Christian Slater and Patricia Arquette. Um, it's got Brad Pitt in it and Gary Oldman. I, I do mention like some Brad Pitt's um, And James Gandolfini. Ooh. Uh, and the Val Kilmer. I don't remember Val Kilmer, though. But then again, I've only seen it once. But enough to remember a lot that happens. Mel Kilmer. God, that poor guy now. Anyway, uh, go ahead. I know. And and they're making him do Top Gun again. They're, uh, Tom Cruise is like, you're, you're going to, if I have to lather you up in butter, you're going to get in that flight suit. Sidebar. Did you see The Snowman, which was awful? Uh, I hadn't. With Michael I, Fassbender? I was interested in it. And then I heard... It was really great. And then I heard, no, it's terrible. Don't no, watch it's it. not. It's not any good. But um, they had to do ADR for him. They had to have someone else do his voice because uh-huh. he can't talk. You know? So Val uh, Kilmer. Val Kilmer? I was yeah. about to say. But. Yeah, Val Kilmer. <sighs> they, uh, they had someone ADR his voice. What what happened after Kiss Kiss Bang Bang Man? I mean, he just had cancer. <laughs> he had cancer? Yeah, it's, it's the throat cancer. <gasps> what? Yeah. I, I, I feel like an asshole now. For- nah, that's fine. For asking what happened to him, no, it's um, okay. But anyway, uh, it, it's great. It, it's a, it's a really good movie. It, it's it's got the staples of Quentin Tarantino. Um, Tony Scott did a great job directing what he had written. Yeah. Um, and it's it's really good. Um, I'm gonna be 100 percent honest. Uh, I'm pretty sure a lot of people are gonna be mad. I. Really haven't watched a lot of movies with Christian Slater in it. That's right. Have you seen or Heather's Laced? Heather's is the best one. I haven't seen Heather's. Oh, boy. Um, but he's great. And he, it, but kind of talking about, like, we were, we were talking about, like, the whole 180. His character does, like, a whole 180. Like, when you yeah. first see him, he's a doofy, like, dude. And Patricia Arquette's a call girl. So she's a bit of a slute. Ooh. Um, and then... They come into some money. I can't remember how. And he does this complete, like, 180. And he's still kind of doofy. His character's still doofy, but he becomes, like, a badass. Uh-huh. And there's, like, a, a, a shootout at one Ooh. point in the movie. I feel like shootouts. Um, but it was, it was really... I was, I was actually very shocked uh, on how good it really was. Yeah. Because it's, it's got a lot of staples of Quentin, a lot of dialogue. Um, I like dialogue a lot. The dialogue is really well written. Because it's Quentin. But, you know, it wasn't one of those things of like, like, yeah, Quentin Tarantino directed it or wrote it, 
and this director just you know, destroyed his word. Yeah. It was, you know, I, I, I don't know much about, like, the behind the scenes of it, but it definitely felt like uh, Quentin and Tony were really working together. Um, but it's it's really good. Um, I, I would say if you aren't a fan of Quentin Tarantino out there, um, at least watch this one because it's it's very it's very good very different because it is it's actually a love story a crime love story okay um, and Brad Pitt plays a stoner in it which oh, is gl- long he's got long hair and he's a fucking stoner he's stoned is this this is after Thelma and Louise because he was at that one uh, 92 is when this one came out I don't, yeah I was after that one yeah um, and then going they <laughs> go into another movie he influenced I only know about everything that happened on it. I've never seen it. Uh, but Natural Born Killers. Oh, God. I love Natural Born Killers. So I'll just kind of go on to what I know. I know that Quentin wrote it. Yep. I know that Oliver Stone rewrote it. I know that Quentin hated it <laughs> and demanded at least, if you're going to put, uh, put his name on it, leave it under story. Because I yeah. know Quentin very openly said like that this was not what I had in mind yeah I think Oliver Stone wanted to make a statement wanted to make a point uh-huh. yeah, that's not that's not Quinn's deal man Quinn, Quinn's deal's not like you know holding the mirror up to society you know yeah because that's what the, the point of the movie yeah. is that, that, you, that the, like it's like the environment that you grow up in is it's it's people are attracted to violence you know and right. we we sort of make celebrities out of these people oh, that's, that, that's what it is that's and, yeah because isn't Robert Downey Jr. a like a like a TV oh, and he does such a good Australian accent in that one too man um I mean Robert Downey Jr. can do accents oh yeah I mean I, he's I, so good Tropic Thunder I mean. yeah oh I was gonna go with uh <laughs> Chaplin? Um, no, but yes, Chaplin is fantastic. Came out the day I was born. Um, he, um, I was going to say Sherlock Holmes, but oh, I, I, right. I, was, I had a feeling you were headed that way. I, I wasn't going to go straight to Tropic Thunder. <laughs> well, um, he plays a his 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 actual character is British, right? Yeah, I think yeah. And then oh, right, right, right. then when he's Lazarus, it's this very <laughs> dumb, yeah, over dramatized Southern accent. Well, welcome back to the Tropic Thunder podcast. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, we, so anyway, I wonder, and if someone knows, please put it in the comments, like Joel Schumacher, because you're listening. Um, if you could put it in the comments, what? what was either taken out or what was added to I have a feeling the whole making celebrities out of murderers right plot or point was added into it I would imagine it mm-hmm. didn't seem like a Tarantino thing to do uh, it doesn't seem like he would give a shit about stuff like that anyway yeah um, but I also want to know what what was left in that was that was originally his yeah that would, that would be nice to know I, I would yeah. like to know that if anyone Joel <laughs> Schumacher, you know, because you're uh, listening. I mean, I, everyone has told me like to watch it, like even oh, it's though even though it's not what Quentin had in mind, everyone has said to watch it. It's still great. It's insane, and that's why well, I like it. I, I remember I read the plot because after I had um, 
Oh man, that just scratched the surface. <laughs> after I learned about everything that happened behind the scenes with Quentin and Oliver, I was like, I don't know if I really want to watch this. So with movies, I'm not. 100% sure if I want to watch I'll just read the entire plot yeah and I read it and yeah that's an insane thing to do it was well I <laughs> read the person. entire thing and it was I mean incredibly it's, insane it's out of its mind and especially when I was reading the part about the uh, the prison riot and Robert Downey Jr. goes batshit crazy yeah and starts killing people yeah I, and the prison riots kind of I mean it's not the craziest thing to happen in the movie either because I mean It'll it'll probably read sort of tame, but the way it's presented on film is crazy. Well, yeah, I've and seen it's so out there. I've seen like gift sets of certain scenes in the movie, yeah. and like the contrast of colors. And, yeah, there are uh, some scenes completely in green. You really, know? there are some scenes that are animated. Some scenes are black and white. Some scenes are a combination, and like I mentioned earlier, some scenes are in a sitcom you know I feel like I, I read about that part and it was like yeah like I, I do want to see it at some point because yeah. I also love Woody Harrelson he's so great like, and this was a big deal for Woody Harrelson because it was right after Cheers oh yeah and I've been watching Frasier by the way so far so great Kelsey Grammer thank you for listening um we we love Frasier um yeah, man, and it was it's a big deal because it's such a huge difference between the two characters, obviously for Woody and Cheers and, and Cheers and then Mickey. Yeah, with with the mullet and Cheers and And then with the no hair. Well he has hair in most of the But then then doesn't he shave it yeah. at one point? Um but and there's and there's this whole thing about his dad. So his dad was a contract killer. Um Went to jail. Like the character and no, like his, like Woody Harrelson's dad. Like Woody Holy Harrelson's shit, dad really? was a yeah, was an oh my god, was a contract killer. Yeah, and he was he was in the conversation for the JFK assassination. No shit. I'm telling you, man. So because uh, again, these guys could Woody we get Harrelson, Woody Harrelson on this, please? Woody Harrelson was born in Midland. Um, no, on his, I, I feel look, like I read that. Look on his IMDb page. It says from Midland, Texas. I feel like uh, I read he grew that. up in Houston. Okay, and so he, so what I his, would consider him a Texanite. Then. What? Oh, of course. What his dad did for a living and where the assassination happened. It's like, oh, of course. You know, yeah, uh, this yeah. Texan. The uh, contract killer killed yeah. the president in Texas. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I don't. I don't think he had anything to do with it. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure at some point he questioned morality. Like, do I really want to kill the president? And so, yeah, I'm sure that was the problem. Uh, yeah. um, <laughs> but throughout filming, um, Oliver Stone would keep saying, you know, um, would keep poking at him about his dad. Because Woody Harrelson hates his dad, and just I would just to so. get the anger out and the rage and the intensity of this character, he just kept poking him with his dad, you know. And I mean, and it it helped because it's a crazy performance and it's insane. And yeah. I love it. I, I really, I really like. I do want to watch it. Like I've had a lot of people tell me, like, hey, watch it. Yeah. Like, and I've seen gift sets of like scenes, and you know, and I love, I love Woody. Uh, I love Julia, Jr. Julia Lewis is in uh, Yeah. And I mean, I, I can handle her in small doses. Uh, you could you could live without Julia Lewis. Well, Julia Lewis, we're so sorry. Uh, I mean, she's Thanks great once eating Gilbert. Great. She's great in that. 
Thank you for listening, Julia Lewis. Uh, <laughs> we're so sorry. Uh, and then you, Tommy Lee Jones oh, is also yeah, in great. it. He's um, great. And Tom Sizemore is also in it. And Tom Sizemore <laughs> is a real-life dirtbag playing um, <laughs> a, a, a movie dirtbag. But, like... I have no idea where to find this movie, even if I do want to watch it. Like, I just want to borrow my copy. <laughs> I probably I have, will have to do that. And the director's got on the on the diamond edition Blu-ray. Not to brag. Oh my god! Humble, Here I go hashtag again. humble brag. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the Jimmy Fallon on the couch with the yeah hashtag. Yeah, um, humble bragging over here about my like, Blu-rays. <laughs> I yeah, I'm gonna dial up. <laughs> Uh, like, but I do want to see it, and like, a lot of people have said that even though it was heavily edited, the script at yeah. least, that a lot of people were saying that it still has some of the dialogue of Quentin Tarantino. But like you were, you're saying, we don't know what was Quentin, what was revised, right? Since he only wanted to take the story. I, would, I mean, obviously, I have a decent idea, but I mean, it's impossible to tell unless, you know, someone, a listener perhaps, uh, <laughs> does their due diligence and like we did not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Next time, I'm going to get a week's advance notice of what we're talking about. So, yeah. I, can do, so I can come with notes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think honestly, like, kind of in conclusion, like, I don't think there's a director out there like Quentin like there every I think every director we've mentioned in the podcast you know David Lynch Alejandro Iñárritu you know uh, Tony Scott you know I, I think they, all the other directors we've mentioned they all have their unique styles exactly and Quentin has his and I think what what's the things that kind of the hallmarks I think is that he writes his own he writes his own movies yeah. you know not a lot of directors do that no. you know most directors are hired or want to be on the project um, and and so he writes his own movies and I think dialogue and especially I think framing framing I think has become a staple of Quentin yeah. Tarantino I don't think any of his films are Framed the same, each one is framed the same way. I think they all have their own specific frames and framed, and, and excluding the trunk pops, which are in almost every movie he's ever done. Even oh. even Jackie Brown, there's a trunk pop with uh, with uh, uh, Chris Tucker wanting not wanting to get in the trunk, it, yeah. it's shot from the trunk, right? That's right, yeah, and yeah. Pulp Fiction, the trunk is up and they're reaching into the trunk, yeah. um. There's not one in Inglorious. No. Oh no! I mean, there's. No. I mean, it's not in all of his movies, but I mean, it's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But oh yeah, but no, I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Um. And, and I think, and I think that's what makes him. Uh, why so many like grab so many people gravitate to his movies? Yeah. I think his not necessarily excessive use of violence, but his very graphic violence, I think, is what turns a lot of people off. Except if you're my dad or I. <laughs> yeah. We gravitate or, towards that. Or anyone who isn't really weirded out by limbs being chopped off and heads being blown off. And, you know, but I think, but I, but I definitely feel like with, and I don't mean offense by this, but older people um, don't 
really want to go see a movie where someone's head's getting blown off or, you know. Yeah, probably not. Or, uh, you know, in Django's shade, uh, case, you know, someone getting torn apart by dogs, you know. Yeah, but that was tight. <laughs> well, I mean, well, you don't receive. You just but see, I'm you a, hear I'm ripping. a psychopath and I like that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no. And, uh, yeah. And I, I mean, think that. I think he, the, and with, I don't know, man, he's just, he's, he's great. And, you know, all. All negative stuff I've set aside. I mean, he's still great, and he's oh, yeah. still he's still cranking out the hits, man. And I'm I'm really excited to see what he does with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, yeah. I, I bet it's gonna have a killer soundtrack that I'm gonna want on vinyl immediately. Right? Oh yeah, I'm, and and if if they don't press it on vinyl and release it. It's a travesty. You're going to hear from me or Joel Schumacher, which, again, <laughs> please get on that. Um, <laughs> thank you for listening. <laughs> Joel Schumacher. I'm but, so sorry. I've been cheating on Joel Schumacher all day. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, He's great. But anyway, like, if anyone hasn't seen any movie we, we listen, you should get out from under whatever rock you're living under and go watch it. Go pick up. Uh, well, I don't think you can pick it up in stores anymore. Get online, Amazon, called Tarantino XX. It's all of his oh, movies. Yeah. I, he has it on the table I, here. I have it, and I'm looking at it, and I'm a little upset that he didn't he didn't direct True Romance. He wrote True Romance, and it's but in it, here. It's listed, yeah, yeah, and uh, From Dust Till Dawn is not in here. That makes me so upset. I think it's because it's more of a uh, Robert Rodriguez movie. You think? I think I don't know. All right. <laughs> Yeah, all right. I already said my two cents on that movie. Yeah, fine, fine, fine. I'm just um, mad it's not here. <laughs> but this is a really cool... But yeah, yeah, or if you don't want to spin, I'm pretty sure it's... Oh, I bet it's expensive outrageously now. Outrageously expensive now. It was yeah. already like 100, 100 bucks when it was first out. Yeah. But I'm sure it's outrageously expensive now. If you don't want to do that, I mean, you can rent them on iTunes for like four bucks. I have all of mine individually. So You know, so... The, the picture I sent you today, the movies I wanted to talk about, they're all individual, right? Yeah. <laughs> but everyone watch them, you know. If Tarantino's not your cup of tea, you know... It's whatever. You know, we're all entitled to our own opinions. Uh, but definitely, I think everyone should at least watch one of his movies at least once in their life. At least once. I mean, it should be a law that everyone should watch at least one Tarantino movie. Except for my Nana. Nana, don't watch these movies. Um, you would not like them. <laughs> Well, I think that about wraps it up, everyone. I'd like to thank uh, Jeremy for joining me. Hey, for uh, this is fun. This two-hour podcast. Yeah, we need to do this again with movies I know more about, <laughs> which are most others. And I just want to thank everyone for hanging out with us. You know, yes, it's been two hours, but you know that's what happens when you get two cinephiles in the same room and they talk about one subject. Um, be sure to hang around for any new episodes or whatever you get, wherever you get your podcasts from. I, I'm on Apple and Google, wherever. Or if you don't like Apple or Google, uh, SoundCloud. But thanks for joining us, everyone. 